Welcome to Critical Box episode 144. This is the second time I'm doing it, and it is somehow the worst version of me doing this. And welcome to the podcast. As always, we're going to review some stuff and things, and I believe this week you're first, but before we get to the meat and potatoes of everything, of course, yeah. how are you doing? Uh, yeah, you know, I'm just fine. Yeah, so, you know. I heard you splashing your wealth the other day. I heard, a, I heard a vocal purchase. You were like, get me a PS5. I'm assuming you've got Alexa, and you've you've sorted all that out, and you're now <coughs> ordering stuff like... Can you not burp of, on the podcast? You're ordering stuff like some sort of future man. Yeah, yeah, because I've got the money for a PlayStation <sighs> 5. I wish I had the money for a PlayStation 5 right now. Because mm. that would mean I could eat something other than party rings. <laughs> Um, what have you purchased this week? What did I purchase this weekend? You tell me. You pre-ordered an Xbox. I mean, yeah, I might have done. Yeah, accidentally. Did you buy another Switch? Yes. Yeah, accidentally. Yeah, you don't have the money for a PS Five. <laughs> Not if I want those and two other things. Mm. <laughs> That's the problem. I can get a Switch and an Xbox Series S for less than a PS Five, mm. and that's a problem to me. Cause... But you're gonna have to leave your Xbox One X out. Because you won't be able to watch your 4K Blu-rays without it. Well, that's what I was always going to keep it for anyway. Because yeah. it's a really good 4K Blu-ray player when it works. Yeah. Um, that's the only problem is that, yeah, I'll have to keep that out. I will eventually get a PS5, but PlayStations are always... Like I say always, like PlayStation and Xbox, the first renditions are always dog shit and they always have issues. So I figure go for the cheaper one, have it for the first few years, and then maybe upgrade in the future when like they've got the second iteration out. Because it was only, I mean, £250 isn't too bad for a next-gen console, is it? It's the first time I think that something like this has had a price point so low. It's because you just want to have all the new shiny things. That too. Mm. That's also a thing. Um, yeah, I'm just going to take up the um, stance that I don't care. So, you know, I, I, PlayStation 4 is fine for me. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't disagree with you at all. I bought a Wii recently as well. Yeah. I got my £15 Wii from CEX. Yeah. And uh, I bought that solely to play Punch-Out. Because <laughs> I still haven't played Punch-Out on the Wii. Mm. And my Wii U. I, I can't find the charger for the dock. <laughs> Not on the dock, the, the gamepad. So I can't play the Wii U. Just plug it in. Plug it into what? The charger. It's got a different charger from the other charger. Yeah, that's your fault. You should have bought a new one. <laughs> Who thought the Wii U would be a good idea? Nintendo. But, like, the problem is... <laughs> It's a device that has two massive power bricks to just play one game. Mm. Like, they're big power bricks as well. Yeah. God, that's a bad design. But then the Switch is quite refined. I see that you've copied my Switch. Yeah, I copied <laughs> your Switch, yeah. <laughs> anyway, Ant, you're first this week. Mind your review thing. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go for it. Uh, let's review a random film oh, I watched. Okay, which one? Um, it's called uh, The Shadow in the Moon. Is that what it's called? It's called Shadow in the Moon. Let's say that. I'm pretty sure it was. Anyway, it's a Netflix film. Um, okay. So it's one of those films that's like, where, you know, you don't use Netflix seem to buy up every sci-fi premise they can Yes. to make any old thing. Yes. And this is another one of those like... The Drifting Earth. Told like, me trying that. to do a Twilight Zone type thing. Yeah. You know, like they always do where it's like, you know, here's a mystery story and it's basically a Twilight Zone episode for two hours. Yeah. Um, and in this one, it starts off with like, you see in 2024, there's some violence has gone on. They're like, you see an office building, isn't it? Windows are broken. There's been explosions. There's stuff burning out of the sky and all this sort of stuff. Something big's happened. Yeah. Um, and then it flashes back to 1988, which is quite a big jump back in time. That's my birth year. Uh, yeah. 
and you've got a cop and he's like following a murder investigation. Some people have died mysteriously all around the same time. They <gasps> Blood came out of their ears and eyes and stuff and they collapsed where they were and their brains sort of leaked out on, out of them and brains just basically turned to mush and leaked out of their heads. Oh my God. And all this sort of stuff. And they all had little pinpricks on their neck. It's like, <gasps> ooh, what's this? Yeah. Some sort of crazy... Ooh, that's weird. That's not that's not normal. It's some sort of isotope that did it to him. They keep saying isotope because it's the sci-fi word they know. Um, it's a biological thing. They know that. They put it in the script. It's fine. Yeah. Um, and he gets. He's like, you know, I'm just going to investigate this because he's a beat cop. And he eventually tracks down this woman who's behind it, thanks to some witnesses who have seen stuff happening. Someone yeah. else got. Someone else gets stabbed in the neck with the thing and all this sort of thing. Um, and yeah, there's like a whole. He tracks her down and then, you know, kills her. Like, she says some mysterious stuff. She sort of mentions a couple of things that, you know, no one should know mm. yet. Um, and then she gets kicked into the train. The train comes by in the subway and obliterates her. And, you know, they show, they show her what's left of her body afterwards because, you know, they wanted to have some gore effects in there. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, and all this. But there's, like, suspicious things and everyone's just like, who was this girl? We don't know who she is. Ooh, and... Mysteries and whatnot. In, when Poochie's not in the room, everybody should be asking, "Where's Poochie?" That's, no. they, but they, they think case closed, everything's done. This girl's dead. It's all sorted. And then, like nine years later, it goes forward nine years. Yeah. And your cop guy is now, you know, his wife had a baby. She dies when she has the baby. There's a <gasps> childbirth. Spoilers. Thing. And um, there's a detective in 1988. She was having a baby, and she has oh, okay. a baby at the very start of the film. This. Bit. God, she's baby crazy. She, she's dead. Right. And her brother is played by Anthony Seahall, you know, Dexter. Oh, Michael Seahall. Michael Seahall, him, yeah. Um, and he's like, he's the detective and the main character's like a regular cop and, you know, he wants to be a detective. Yeah. Um, and he goes forward a bit, there's some stuff going on, but the girl turns up again. <gasps> and some more people start dying. It's like, oh, how can she be here when she was, we killed her in the past? Yeah. Pretty final. And there's all sorts of crazy stuff where like, where it starts falling apart because they didn't do a great job of investigating anything. And it was to the degree that I started thinking, oh, there's probably some sort of conspiracy theory going on involved in this. I've, I would pin Dexter as the one behind yeah. it because he usually plays sneaky guys yeah. in stuff he's in. Um, and, like, you'd think there'd be some sort of conspiracy because of how sort of crap they were investigating anything. Mm. Not that there was much to investigate. Their only clues was they had some keys. They had some keys that were on a body, keys to a plane. But no one ever tracked down what these keys belonged to in 1988, which plane they came from or anything like that, which would obviously give you some sort of hint. When they asked the keymaster? No, the gatekeeper. No, the no. gatekeeper and the keymaster. Yeah. Rick Moranis. But they don't, they've obviously not looked after that until nine years later when it's 1997. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, 1997, because every time it goes forward in time, nine years. Okay. The okay. film's split into five, four acts over nine years apart, each one. Um but that's the only time they actually bother investigating the keys. When this girl turns up again, they open up the old case file. And, yeah. you know, the cop from earlier is now a detective and he's like, I'm going to do my investigations. Yeah. Um, and it turns out the keys belong to a plane that only came out last year in 1996. <gasps> so obviously that's like, well, how could she have had these keys in 1988? You She's know? a Timmy traveller. Like, obviously, if they looked at it in 1988, they wouldn't have found any plane it belonged to. Yeah. And they wouldn't have been able to track it. But that would have been a sort of like a thing. That they would have got some sort of UFO, <clears throat> but now they look at it and it's like, oh, it belongs to a plane that only released last year, but she was there in 1988 and she had the keys in 1988. It's the iPlane three. How did that happen? Um, 
there's also there's other stuff they just don't look into. Like they find the device she's been using to kill people. It's quite clearly some sort of future tech, but they just yeah. chuck it in a bag and chuck it in evidence. It sounds like they're real bad detectives. Yeah, pretty much. But um, basically, the film splits over these following nine-year periods, and each time this girl turns up again, and he starts figuring out what's been going on. She disappears. They have a plane crash, and mm. she vanishes. She had like a bleeding arm from the start of it, and yeah. had like bandages on and stuff. And there comes a sequence where he chases her, and he shoots her, and hits her arm. Like, but it's later before. And basically the whole premise is that while the story's moving forward in time, she's going back in time from the future. Like, she's killing people in order to stop the rise of some sort of underground right-wing crazy movement that's going to eventually lead to major terrorist attacks. Oh, the Conservatives. Basically, yeah. Basically, like, this, it's not subtle about it being... It's like as far as it can go without saying it's MAGA. Like... There's there's a guy in 1988 who's one of the targets she killed that everyone missed. They just assumed he OD'd on stuff and he was in a different precinct, so they wouldn't cover it. Yeah. They didn't make the link. Um, and you see him, he's got like a American flag with a blue line through it and all this Ugh. sort of stuff. But it's nothing about cops. But yeah. it's just, a, you you recognise that as a symbol of one thing. Yeah. And the girl's like a black woman in a hoodie that they're chasing. Um, so there's all this like... It's doing as much as it can without saying, like, these are Republicans. Mm. Um, or not necessarily Republicans, but the right-wing nutters that latch on to Republicans. Because Republicans. Because, weirdly, they sort of line up every now and again. Yeah, they do all the yeah. time. But um, David Icke. It's one of those things where you know that if a Republican watched it, they would just go over their head. Because they have this amazing ability to, like, right-wing nutters have an amazing ability to not see the subtext unless it's really spelled out in front of them. Look, dude, a group of people that have the same opinions as 60-year-old people are not free thinkers. <laughs> They're followers. And yeah. they keep fucking saying, oh, we're the free thinkers, we're the people coming up with ideas. It's like, yeah, because yeah, cause the guy who fucking invented your iPhones you love so much, the guy who came up with that concept, yeah, he didn't create Pixar or anything like that and happened to be a fucking complete liberal nub- nut job to the point where he tried to treat his cancer with strawberries. <laughs> of course not. Mm. That's not what fucking Tim Apple did. <laughs> Tim Apple, I remember him. He was good. But um, yeah, like Steve Jobs, like one of the... one of the, He would be right now up there with Jeff Bezos. But it's like they... Um... There's a thing where, like, you work it out, it's like 2024 is the date that this terrorist attack apparently took place. That would be the end of Donald Trump's, like, um, presidency if he mm. got two t- terms, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, and she's actually travelling back for much later in the future. It must be 2040-something because it's the most futuristic year and you see it on the screen very briefly. Mm. Um, but there's apparently they did these terrorist attacks that led to a massive civil war. You know, millions of Americans died and stuff and she's trying to erase the people who were, like instrumental in pushing that movement forward so it just seems like random unrelated people but then they trace them back and find things like well two of these people knew this guy who wrote this manifesto and then two of these other people were related to someone who was pushing this manifesto around and Mm. stuff so it's like they're taking out the the key people it would be like if you um travel back in time from the future to like 2015 and took out alex jones and ben shapiro like, you have to go back further than that. Probably. but Alex Jones is one of those weirdos that used to make documentaries. Yeah. Documentaries in, in quotation marks. I recently found out, like, I've been listening to a podcast called The Last Podcast on the Left, The Last Pod on the Left. Have you heard about it? No. Okay. I, mean, I don't listen to podcasts. No, podcasts fine, are terrible. Um, I only listen, listen to, to podcasts. I only listen to it because I found out that Henry Zabrowski is, is one of the voices and he's the main character in Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell. Yeah. And it's a super dark podcast in which they just talk about like horrific shit that happens around the world, but they just they make jokes about it. And one of the things that they talk about are, are like David Icke and the idea of lizard people, but also 
this um, weird club that happened to be part of um, part of like Yale, and they made a film about it in the nineties called The Skulls, but it's called the Skull oh, yeah. and Bones Syndicate or whatever in in Yale. And all the most the skulls. Like, the skulls is a franchise. There was like at was least there three, like more of them. There's at least three of them. I know Paul Walker is in one. Yeah, I, I saw think. the first one. It's not good. No, it's not. It's, it's, but but that, it's nineties film. Yeah, <laughs> that's like that's like a glorified like in reality. It's a really sinister, horrible fucking place. Yeah, and they basically just had what they called free idea rooms, and people would go in. No one would record anything that was said, but they would had have conversations, and they would use what education they had to try and come up with ideas and 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 sort of build the ideas of the future yeah. and it was all really sinister shit but basically those people then went on to be presidents and high people in, of high of high influence I mean nothing to do with the fact their families are super rich and send them to Yale hmm. uh, but um, but Alex Jones had a documentary in which he went to the place where they have like a secret like fucking weekend break where all these people go to hmm. and Alex Jones managed to film part of it and prove that one of the actual things actually happened like one of the and like that's where his that's sort of, I think that's one of the things that made him big. Yeah. It was like the idea that they, they burned this big effigy of what they call care. And care is, um, responsibility. It's ownership. Like, if you take responsibility or ownership, then you are accepting doubt and blame. So to avoid accepting doubt or blame, you push away, you burn care. You do not accept. And that's like one of the key tenements of this weird, so you're saying people should go watch the skulls? No, I'm saying I'm saying people should probably just I don't know not listen to Alex Jones, but at the same time, be I don't fa- think anyone does now. No, I mean for a while I'd more subscribers on YouTube than he had on his um, what was the website he moved his videos Parler? to after? Not Parler, it was um, Daily Motion. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He started putting them on there. I don't know if they're still on there anymore. Have you seen that Glinna Glinna has I don't uh, look up for anything to do with Glinna? So he he recently announced that because his because his like he's got no. He went work. to Mumsnet to try and get people to yeah. back him, and they were like, "Fuck off." Yeah. So basically, he tried that, <laughs> and now his only money that he's got coming in is from his like online newsletter through um, what is it called? Sub something. Uh, yeah, he has like an online newsletter that you could subscribe to. No, apparently, complained that he couldn't. No one wants to help make his Father Ted musical anymore. Yeah. Good. I wonder why. <laughs> Most of musical theatre is gay and trans people. Yeah. <laughs> they don't want anything to do with you. Have you noticed like how um, LGB Alliance and all that stuff, they're finally like showing their real... They're all saying that gay marriage is like bullshit and gay people don't want to yeah. get married. And all that stuff. It's all fucking horrendous. But anyway, sorry, you are reviewing anything? No, I don't know. I guess I'm done. It's, the film's film's all right. It like has this Twilight Zone premise and usually a Twilight Zone premise is at least interesting. But um, friggin... It does have a problem where it kind of just ends. Okay. Like, when you get to a big revelation moment, it's like the plot twist you could kind of see coming mm. a while ago because they deliberately didn't show a certain <laughs> character that would have given away that this half-black woman was related somehow to the main oh, character. Okay. Is there only um, one of the black character in the... No, no, no. There's, there's Well, there's one black character who gets shot in the face and dies oh, right. um, after getting his leg broken earlier in 1988. Before he dies, <coughs> do you see him donating sperm and being no, like no, the no. future? No, it's <laughs> a, the daughter of the main character when she in 2015 well in 2006 she's mentioned she's got a boyfriend and all this oh, okay. but you don't see him and the dad doesn't really remember him yeah and then because he, he goes off the rails he starts drinking and he's like oh, turns God, into yeah. a private investigator and a conspiracy nut oh, what because he's just obsessed with this whole this girl that seems to be travelling back in time yeah I mean he gets to the point where he even sees her use a pod he's thing like Michael from, Rooker in Jumper but um they like yeah there's like a big old plot revelation it's just 
as soon as that happens, it just like does a montage thing where it's like, and now we're going to save the future. And I know you're going to help me because you're the one who told me to do all this. And you're the, you're the promised one. And he's like, yeah, but if I killed you now, then, you know, all the past would be erased and stuff. All the things you did in the past would change. And she's like, it's not that simple with time travel things, man. It could cause all sorts of problems. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, really, his main pain is that his wife died, I guess. <laughs> oh. But, like, that's not going to erase if he kills no. the woman, because she died during childbirth. She didn't die because of something that woman did. It's a real Peter Weller in Fringe yeah. situation. But, um, yeah, it's it's all right. It's watchable. It's um, it's nicely shot and stuff. The main guy, I can't remember his name, but he looks familiar. Yeah. Some blonde guy with a beard. But it's nice to see Michael C. Hall in something. Yeah. Yeah. He was great in Gamer. Gamer's, I really liked him in Gamer. Game, yeah, Gamer's a work of art. He was also good in, was it... Um, Dexter Seasons 1 through 4. No. Uh, <laughs> the um, What was the what was the thing with... Um, oh, fuck's sake. Stop trying to remember stuff you can't Don remember. Johnson was in a film with him, and I think it was... Don Johnson? Yeah. Blue Ruin? Uh, Maybe not Blue Ruin, because that was the beginning to Green Room. Sorry. Sure, it's not Anthony Michael Hall from... No. CSI Miami. No, because he was in uh, the third Purge movie. Oh, yeah. the Purge, eh? Yeah. Which yeah. one's the third one? Um, Cold in July was the film he was in. Yeah. Uh, it's really good. Cold in July is about him hiring a hitman. That's a Purge. No, no, no. Cold oh. in July. It's a film about Michael C. Hall hires a hitman to take someone out, and then he fails, like the hitman fails to take him out, and instead the hitman sort of basically trains him to try and do his dirty work, like his yeah. own job. And uh, and he's just this very like weak-willed person who's trying to stand up against someone, and it all becomes very uh, once upon a time in the Midwest. Do you remember that? The... No, you're just naming things. Okay, sorry. Never mind. Never mind. I'm doing a one. I'm doing a Ready Player One. I'm losing it. Yeah. I'm going on a tangent. Stop Call me Artemis because I'm so cool and edgy. All right, is it my review? Yeah, I guess. Okay, uh, I watched a Netflix film as well. Oh. poo poo. I watched uh, Devil All the Time. No, oh, is that the? The one with the accents. The one with Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so Devil All the Time is a down south, good old boy story about a man who comes is back Is it down south or is it down south? Um, so, uh, Billy Skarsgård plays a, plays a, um, plays a war veteran from, veteran from, uh, I believe World War Two or possibly Vietnam. I can't remember. It, I think it's World War Two because it's all set in the 50s. Well, anyway, then it's not Vietnam, then. No, it's not. So he comes back from World War Two, and he's he's haunted by memories of of the atrocities he saw. And one of the ones that, in particular, they show you was quite horrific. Is that a man is put on a crucifix, uh, but he's left. World a... War Two wasn't that long ago. No, I know. It's only seventy eight years. It wasn't two thousand years ago. Good. I know. Yeah. Well. Um, but anyway, so they've taken up this American POW and they've put him on a spike mm. and they've smeared him in honey. Mm. So all the bugs and shit have been eating away at him. Yeah. And when they find him, he's been there for days. And he's just like basically got maggots and shit like waving their way inside. And, and uh, Bill Skarsgård's just like, probably just going to shoot him in the face. Mm. And then kills him and then he comes back and he's he's haunted by those memories. But he manages to get himself together and he create like he starts a family with this with this waitress he's infatuated with when he goes to get coffee. Um, and, and starts a family, uh, but sadly she dies of cancer and he kills himself at what he calls his praying tree. Sounds fun. It's really dour. I've mm. got to let you know that this is a very dour film. Um, he goes and kneels at his praying tree and he, and he eventually kills himself. Uh, meanwhile, there is a preacher who is showing people that he, the Lord protects him 
and and will always protect him by pouring spiders on his face because he once feared spiders. Mm. But he's now found that you know if he pours, he he's he's found that the Lord gives him strength to rise up against his fears, and he pours spiders on his face. It's grim. Um, and he meets a young girl who who just so happens to have been um, in close relation to Bill Skarsgård, um, and they end up falling in love, getting married, and having a child. Flash forward to when uh, both the children are a little bit older. Uh, Bill Skarsgård, wife dying cancer, dies. He kills himself. Meanwhile, the preacher, his young daughter, is left with the grandparents. Um, and he has decided that because his congregation is failing, he's he's losing people every day and the spider thing isn't really working anymore because he's an old man. Mm. Also, he's Dursley from, from D- Dudley Dursley from Harry Potter. You know how he's got that weird face now? Have you not seen him? Do you remember Dudley Dursley, Dursley from the Harry Potter films? No. He's the, the fat kid. He's lost all the weight now. So he's oh, got, no, yeah, he's he got skin. buff. Yeah, so he's all skinny now. And it looks really weird. He's got like a tiny pinched face and this like normal head. Um, but anyway, so um, he's playing the preacher and he... Uh, he basically Pattinson was the preacher. He's a preacher. Oh. Yeah, there's multiple preachers. Um, so he... he well, what's the day, plot? You're just naming... I'm going to get... To, this is the plot. It's very complicated. It goes all fucking through time. So I'm just getting to the main crux of it. Um, Where's Tom Holland? This is where I'm getting to. I've not even gotten to him yet. Oh, so wait for it. Uh, so anyway, the preacher goes one day and he is praying to the Lord. He's saying, Lord, help me lead my flock. Help me build my flock again. I need to build my congregation because he's struggling. Um, and he he has a moment where he sees an image of him killing his wife. And he thinks that's the Lord giving him the message that if he kills his wife, he can bring her back from the dead. Um, so he goes and kills his wife and she doesn't come back from the dead. So he goes oh, on the run. God lied to him. Yeah, he did. Um, meanwhile, meanwhile, Sebastian Stan is a local police chief. you just say what the film's about. I'm trying to get to it. This you're not, is though. The, you're saying the plot. This is what the film's about. No, that's no, that's No, plot. because I've not even got to the actual main part of the story. No, that, you're talking These are the plot. all precursors what, to the main plot. What the film is about it's is about what it thematically this. engages. Oh, right, okay. But I'll get to that in a second. So Sebastian Stan is a police chief whose sister just so happens to be a prostitute who's recently hooked up with... Explain the difference between plot and story. Oh, just wait for it. Who's recently hooked up with... um, Oh, God, who's the guy from Rise of the Planet of the Apes? The dad. The one who was also in Terminator Genesis. He played the the new... um, He wasn't in Rise of the Planet of the Apes. He was in uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Oh, he was, yeah. What's his name? Yeah, John Connor. John Connor, yeah, whatever. Um, so John Connor is running around with this prostitute who's Sebastian Stan's sister. I can't remember his name. All oh, right, And he's getting people to sit in provocative positions with, with Sebastian Stan's sister and then shooting them in the head. Jason something. Jason Clark. Um, and he's shooting them in the head. So Jason Clark's driving around. He's a serial killer. And they just, they just kill people for years because we go forward 10 years in time, right? And this is where we meet Tom Holland... Got it? Yeah, it's still just... So Tom Holland is also living with the grandparent of the preacher. Sorry, yeah, she's she's grandparents of the preacher. So Tom Holland's being looked after by her. And also the daughter of the preacher who killed his wife is living there too. And Tom Holland is a young man who has an eye for justice. Mm. He doesn't part with anyone... uh, just hurting people for and no then reason. On a science trip, he gets bitten by a radioactive <laughs> spider. So he he just he has this feeling that he's there to to um, to protect people, and he protects his family and the people around him. And Robert Pattinson comes to town, and it seems like he has a spell on some of the people around there, mm. including the young girl that lives with Tom Holland, 
and it's really it's just a catalyst of sounds like the film could have just started there yeah I mean tell me about it um, what what eventually like it, the whole thing is about this murder mystery so that pair of killers that originally the, the prostitute and Jason Clark Sebastian Stan's sister they're they're travelling around the country still and they've got all these pictures of all their victims that they've just left in random areas and what they're purposely doing is trying not to leave an MO so sometimes they stab people sometimes they rob people sometimes they just Sometimes they make it look like a suicide, but, you know, show signs that it has been a murder, that it was a murder. You know, like, they they have no pattern. Mm. All they do is they keep travelling around doing these horrendous crimes. Um, And eventually, due to another horribly tragic accident, Tom Holland will encounter those people. And it's sort of like, it's building up to them, um, but also Robert Patterson, who's this... Sounds like one of What's-His-Face's novels. Who's that one did No Country for All Men? Oh, um, uh, uh, oh God, he also did The Road. Yeah, miserable bastard. Sounds like like one of his writing. Yeah, sounds like one of his books. It does. Cormac McCarthy. Yeah. Yeah. Miserable fuck. Um, it's a really interesting film Mm. because there is so, like, the shit that I explained that took, like, five minutes of this fucking review is only the first 15, 20 minutes of the film. But without that shit there, none of the rest of it has any emotional impact because Tom Holland doesn't really. He works in the role he's in, but he's so much of a blank slate in this. But that's by design. He's a kid who lost his parents. Like when the when the police come and find him after his dad's killed himself, he lost his parents. Yeah, and he was living with his aunt May. <laughs> Once he's lost his parents, um, the police go and pick him up. And when they find him, because the neighbors delivered like pies and casseroles and shit, because he'd lost his wife, and they were all like, mm. "Here's some food for your family. Just try and keep yourself going." Um, his dad killed himself, and the kid just went back into the house after finding him in what must be complete shock and just took a pie and started eating a pie with his hands. So when the police find him, he's covered in all this red shit and it looks like he's been eating blood. And they're like, when I found you, I thought you killed your daddy. And he's like, no, nah, I don't kill good people. And he's like, you don't kill anyone. And he's like, not yet. Not yet. Not that. Like, and it is, it's like a knowing dialogue. It's like, he knows that he is essentially just on this path to meet these people and, and have this climactic, not battle even, because once you find, once you finally get to like the violence and, and the end of things, it's so, um, so sharp and quick. It's almost like it's not earned. There is a subplot, the whole Robert Patterson thing. So the thing that's mostly been advertised are Tom Holland and Robert Patterson. You don't really see much of the other people. Like I didn't even know Bill Skarsgård was in it until I started watching it. Because he's not advertised. Even though he's kind of a massive star now. He did yeah. it and like... No? Okay. There's like five million scars guards. No that's one knows true. which that one's is, which. That is actually true. Well, you got Bill, Alex. And then you got Stefan. Ste- Peter. Stella, and you got Peter. you got yeah. Stefan Skarsgård as well. Yeah, there's like a million of them. Yeah. They're all famous as well. Stellan's hey. the only good one. Which one? Stellan. No, Alex is all right. Nah, I like Stellan. He did Tarzan. Yeah, but Stellan was in um, Girl with a Dragon Tattoo and Four and... Who was, he was in the remake of Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't in the original. No. One of the Scars guys was, wasn't he? I can't remember. Hmm. Anyway. Swedes. Sorry. So, yeah. So, um... Oh, girl, the, the Girl in the Spider's Web's on Netflix now, isn't it? I'm going to have to watch that. Is that the new one? Yeah. With Ra- Rumi... Rumi Mara's not in it. It's a different cast entirely. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh. Because it's based on the fourth book, the one that's not written. Oh, yeah. The one that's part written by... Written him. by the people who... His family who have the money. Yeah. Then they... Got the well, rights. he part wrote it. Didn't no, he? he wrote a fourth one. Yeah, but 
his girlfriend had the rights. Well, she held on to it yeah. and she wouldn't release them. But in Sweden, it's like you have to release it to the family. And because yeah. she wasn't married to him, she doesn't have any right to it. Uh. But they just went ahead and wrote another book. Oh. <clears throat> some cash cow. You can sell yourself some little um, Lisbeth Salander action figures. Yeah. But she can have, like, you know, tattooing action. Yeah. Right. Sure, right, rapist on your chest if you just yeah. put in triple A's. Yeah. Um, so yeah, sorry. One of the one of the most interesting parts. So as I said, my, uh, although Tom Holland is really serviceable, he's fine in the role and sort of as this character that is, he's not really a character. He's more like a, an avatar of fate. Like it's more like he is a weird force of nature that's just sort of blowing in the wind and randomly impacting lives. Um, there's one really great scene in which there are a group of guys that are bullying his sister, like his adopted sister. And 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 he goes to take him all on, gets the shit kicked out of him, and then like he goes, he goes, but I'm nothing if not smart, so I adapt. I realise I can't take on these five guys because even though they can't fight worth shit, they're outnumbering me, so they're winning just by sheer luck because there's so many of them. I can't really Whip stop them. all of them. So he goes and he attacks them one by one, and there's this great little scene where it's just like there's a guy like he gets on a school bus and he's gonna have sex with this girl that like they're both the same age. It's not like a weird rapey thing, but. He's going to have sex with this girl on the school bus. And, uh, and the door's open. And he's like, he's like, oh, you gone and left the door opening? She goes, I thought you'd close the door. And he goes, well, god damn it, I'll go close the door. She goes, yeah, go close. I don't want to breathe. And like, he's going to the door and he suddenly just disappears and just says, whack, whack, whack. And you're like, oh shit, yeah. And then there's a guy working on the car and there's a dude in the front seat, like trying to start. There's a guy, like, he basically goes, like, start it up. He's like, all right. And as it starts, you just see Tom Holland appear behind this guy starts slamming this metal fucking bonnet down on this guy's back just repeatedly does a few kicks and then goes to the door where the guy's trying to start just drags him and just starts walloping it's in him. a montage format. Yeah, it's kind yeah. of in a what montage format. they play in the montage format? Oh, they don't play a song. Oh. Yeah. But, um, but like, he's really good. He's really good as that character and I, I just, I wish there was more of something there, just like a light behind the eyes because when people die or people pass, he's still just like this... You know, it happens. Um, but Robert Patterson's pretty great as like a weird accented like... Oh, what the sparkly vampire? Ugh, yeah. Ugh, so not he, my Batman. His character is really weird. He's the cousin of the preacher that's there who disappears at one point for mysterious purposes. Like, people talk to him and they say like, oh, you're you're going off and he goes like, I've got... The Lord wants me to go do some work somewhere. So my cousin's coming down. He just got out of, got out of school. So he's ready to be a priest. And he comes down, and it turns out that he has—he's um, married, but he has—he has an obsession with little girls. That's how leads some bad bad places. And obviously, Tom Holland has an adopted sister, and stuff happens there—bad stuff. So, uh, yeah, and they have a great fucking scene together. I think it's the one time that Tom Holland the kind of guy has a great fucking scene with yeah. the child. <laughs> no, it's the one scene where Tom Holland kind of really plays oh. it well, and I think that. Robert Patterson brings out a really good performance from him because Robert Patterson is like proper like like I couldn't be honest. I can't tell people that's my I can't have a bastard child. I'm a priest. I'm a married priest. And that girl, she's crazy. She told me she had a boyfriend and there's like this begging to him and like this this like fucking oily snaky prick coming out. And Tom Holland, like the whole interaction, Tom Holland is just word for word saying what this guy said to another local girl that he's sort of grooming. And he's just, Robert Patterson is just fucking getting wound up and getting freaked out. And like, he can't fight, like, and for some reason, Tom Holland, like I said, just this weird, really good as a weird stoic, like, just avatar. It's weird. 
But yeah, uh, the devil all the time. It's, it's, Which avatar though? The big blue guys or the last airbender? M Night Shyamalan. Yeah. Um, it's it's a really good film, but it's it's not it's not an easy film to crack into, and it is fucking dour. Like there aren't happy moments. It's almost like watching Dead Man, you know, the Jim Jarmusch film. They're like Johnny Depp. He's getting vengeance, but he's also there's no salvation for him. Like, he doesn't get a happy ending. Even those good interactions he has during that time, you're like, well, he's going to be dead soon. <laughs> like, it's like, yeah, yeah, that's it. That's that's kind of it. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. I'm going to give it a Rick Moranis since he's back. He's not back. He did one advert. No, he's going to be doing uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, a series. Is he? Yeah. Oh. He's signed up to do that. And also uh, the film. They might be doing a new film. But he looked great. Doing Disney Plus stuff. He looked great. And also, WandaVision had a trailer that looked really mm. good. Did you see the trailer for WandaVision? Yeah, I saw someone comment on the Twitter post when Marvel put it up saying, oh, I was hoping Marvel would do something original this time. I'm just going to give this a miss. I'm like, it's literally the most like weird-looking thing Marvel's yeah. done. Like his, his Chances are what he means by original is another thing where a guy punches a big space alien. No, he wants it to be dark. Yeah, He wants Iron Man to be branding people and sending them to prison because yeah. that's something we don't understand. Iron Man could have a branding tool attached could, to his... Yeah. But, I mean, to be honest, the thrusters could probably just act right on. He kills people a lot. Yeah. Do you know what I'm really looking forward to? Joker 2. Electric joker Lou, mm. Where it's all subtext. <laughs> <laughs> you don't get it because you're not dark enough, Matt. You don't understand the Joker. You're knocking my stuff over again. Look at me. Just not being able to control my Joker. Mm. All right, your review, Ant. Right. Uh, let's, let's get serious. Let's do Star Trek The Next Generation. Ooh. Season one. Oh, God. Yeah, going way back in time. Because, you know, I'm still not... Because Enterprise finished early, I wasn't done with getting Star Trek. Okay. Put into my eyes. Yeah. Because we've got to get as far away from Picard as possible. The original, the series Picard, not Picard himself. What are you talking about? Because Picard himself is great, except not in the Picard series, where he has his moments, but the series sucks. So I went back and started watching Next Generation. And the first season is rough. Mm. Um, but you can see the signs of what makes Star Trek Next Generation what it is there. Um, but the thing is, it starts off with like a pilot encounter at Farpoint. It's a classic pilot. It was a movie-length pilot they did. Yeah, I say movie-length, you know, two hours with adverts, mm. an hour and a half in reality. But, um, you know, it was a pretty flashy production for them to start a 1987 TV series on. Like, you know... Shows back then didn't get massive budgets for their, like, you know, pilots and, you know, their, their series in general. You wouldn't get special effects heavy shows like that. I was going to say, considering the time, that's got a damn good budget. Yeah. But they, they used ILM for the um, the model shots in the first series. Of course they did. But they only used them, they only filmed model shots for um, um, Encounter at Farpoint. And after that, they just basically used those model shots as much as possible. For well, the yeah, rest of the if series, you just want to do multi angles. You just change the background. So yeah, it fucking yeah. That's why there's a lot of times when they meet up with an Excelsior class starship in early Next Generation mm. because they can just keep reusing the shots they used because they only had an Excelsior class starship filmed. You can't really blame <laughs> them for that, can you? But no, they did. They did. But um, Encounter at Farpoint, I've always liked it as a pilot. A lot of people don't. It is very, very clearly two scripts smashed together. Yeah. One where Picard's encountering the Q and Q's putting humanity on trial, and the other one where. A bunch of them who they're going to meet at this station. It's like a big old station that's on a planet thing that they're going to use as a like trading and manufacturing outpost. 
Um, and there's some weird goings on there. Ooh, stuff just seems to appear out of thin air and they don't know why. It's mm. like, you know, someone wants something and suddenly it's there. Um, turns out to be jellyfish. But, um, it's like it's an alright pilot. It's clearly a mess, but it, it does what it's supposed to do and it establishes characters. And there's some interesting stuff in that pilot. Like, they don't, you don't meet Riker till halfway through the episode. Like, which is like unusual. You'd think, like, you know, most of the cast would be established right at the start. But the show starts with only Picard, Data, and Worf. And Tasha Yar. Um, but as the series goes on, it's like it has a really rocky start. Like episode two is a straight up remake of an original series episode, and they try to get away with it by saying, "Oh, something happened on the original Enterprise just like this," mm. so they can say, "Oh, it's just a reference." But it's straight up the same episode. It's people going drunk. That's the episode where um, Tasha Yar bangs Data. <laughs> Like the one which said, "Are you fully functional?" And he's, "I am fully operational." <laughs> I mean, you would. It's a bang droid. Yeah, <clears throat> but um, the, pretty- and the third episode is like the episode that everyone generally regards as the worst episode of Next Generation because it's um, it's the super racist one. Where oh, the one where they go to the weird like they've got a tribe, this African tribes. <laughs> they they're trying to get some um su- some stuff from them, some you know, future technology. Yeah. And in the process of leaving, the tribes guy kidnapped Tasha Yar because they're impressed with her fighting skills. Yeah. But he, apparently in their culture, it's like, oh, they take take your women as a prize and you have to go and ask for them back and do whatever they say to get your get the woman back. And it's like, it's like a colonialist view of Africa in like form. Like they could have just made it any other way. Put some scales on them, you know, and you'd just be like, oh, weird, weird scaly aliens with weird... With weird ideas, but because you dressed them up as Africans, wearing like everyone's idea of what Africans wear, this is like you know, big old have you know, all carrying spears and stuff all the time, just comes across as incredibly racist. Mm. Um, and Jonathan Frakes described that episode as a racist piece of shit. But after that, it picks up. Like you get a few episodes in, you get the one with the Chicago mob thing with the holodeck, the first holodeck episode where the safety protocols break down and stuff, and they're trapped inside the holodeck, and you know, shit's getting dangerous in there. You know, that's where it picks up and there's some there's some class episodes as you run through the series. Um you know, and it tries to do its own thing gradually and kind of its own new premises. And it all builds up to them meeting Romulans for the first time since the original series, which is, you know, a nice build up. And I'm pretty sure the first Romulan is played by the guy who plays Gold Cat in Star Trek Deep Space Nine as well. Um <laughs> Just keep turning up and make up. Yeah, he plays loads of characters in Star Trek. You get the first friggin' Ferengis in this, and the first Ferengi was played by Armin Schumann, who went on to play Quark in Deep Space Nine. Mm. Um, and those Ferengis are jumping around like fleas and stuff all the time, and it didn't like didn't work out well the way they did Ferengis. They they cap they designed them right from the start to be capitalists, like ruthless capitalists, yeah, where everything has a price and they want money for everything and all this sort of thing. Um, but it's like they also depict them as they're all wearing furs and running around and jumping all over the place all the time, mm. like they've got ants in their pants. Um, it's really weird. It, th- th- all that stuff gradually got worked out with the Ferengis, and they you know, just made got, them. You've got the perfect type of Ferengis in lower decks. Yeah. yeah, they still come across as like you know a Jew allegory. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say they still come across. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but they've they've done a lot to make sure they what are is, personable after a while. What and, is wrong with people that they can't come up with a character that likes money that doesn't? It's a Gene have... Roddenberry thing. <laughs> huh? you, it's a Gene Roddenberry thing, isn't it? It's well, no, because you've got fucking what's Gene Roddenberry may have been progressive, but he loved stereotypes. Queen of the Transphobes, she does it with the goblins, yeah. and then you've got fucking. At least the Ferengis developed their own thing. They weren't like they were depicted as their own thing from the start, and they changed them gradually. But it was still you've got capitalists, and you've given them big noses. Mm. <laughs> it's like, um, 
But no, there's some there's some fun stuff in that first series. It's you know it's rocky, but you see Star Trek coming through. Um, you know the bit where they kill Tasha Yar off bizarrely. Mm. Like that's quite fun. They they killed her off because she was basically a bit fed up. Um, Denise Crosby was getting fed up with the character not really having any development and stuff. Yeah. Um, and plus, like early Star Trek when Gene Roddenberry was in charge, he didn't want characters having conflicts with each other, and you know there wasn't really character arcs for anyone. Yeah. So. That was something the writers had to keep fighting against, was trying to write something, so she wasn't going to get much development that early on. Um, but yeah, she gets killed off unceremoniously at the start of an episode. And it's quite a, I, I quite like the episode. Um, a lot of people don't like it, but I think it's quite good. They go to a planet and there's a weird black slime thing and it comes out of the ground. It's like a slime humanoid thing. Yeah. And it's just pure evil. It's like some civilization tried to genetically engineer evil. Oh, like some Prince shit. of Darkness style. Maybe. But he's just like, he just wants everyone to suffer and feel pain, but really mm. he's painful inside. And he's like, Picard, you will take me from this planet and leave, let me go somewhere else. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do what you say because if I give you, if I do what you say, I'm giving you what you want. Bye, toodles. Um, but I love that they kill her off early in the episode. It just comes out of nowhere because it's like, when you have, like, one thing I don't like in films and TV is when they build up to a character's death to make the death have big meaning and stuff because mm. it shouldn't. A death should come out of nowhere. It should leave you with holes. It should leave you with like things that are incomplete. Because that's what happens. Like <laughs> that's what death is. If we can, you know, it doesn't come when you've managed to like defeat something or you've managed to complete a story arc. It happens. Yeah, just look at video games. Yeah. I mean, like Mario. The amount of times Mario's just fallen down a hole and died. Hmm. Like no one mourns him. No one mourns him. No one acts like they <laughs> yeah. just. They just. Do you think it was weird in that Next Generation episode that Natasha had recorded a message for everyone? They'd only been flying around in space for like three months by this point. Maybe she's a fan of Scream too. Yeah, she's just really connected with everyone. She wanted to tell Data how great he was. Um, I fucked that Data. And there is like this clear thing through the first season where you can tell when Gene Roddenberry like got involved in rewrites. Yeah. Because the shows get horny all of a sudden. Because um, he he was a horny bastard, if nothing He's else. He's a horny old man. Yeah. Um, apparently there was all sorts of problems with the first series because they brought back loads of writers from the original series as many as they could get back in, and production crew and stuff. But as they were making it, Roddenberry wasn't there at the time because he was getting older and, like, you know, his health was declining and stuff. So he had a lawyer there. Mm. And this lawyer would have a habit of just, like, grabbing the scripts and writing notes and rewriting stuff. Yeah. With, like, no one being consulted on it. And it would go through to be the shooting scripts and someone would go, hang on, so who's written all this crap in here? So it hasn't gone through me. Rick Berman's like, I didn't write this. Who wrote this? And it's like, it turns out the lawyer's the one who did it. You know, eventually he got banned from the set, but like practically everyone who worked on the first series quit by the end of the series. Yeah. So they had to get entirely new staff in for the next following seasons, um, which is where Star Trek starts. Next Generation starts to pick up is once it's found its foot, its footing and it's got new writers in all this. Um, you know, it works a lot better after that. It was the woman from My Love Lucy that made the first season happen, wasn't it? Well, sort of. She... It's, her production company were the only ones Desilu, yeah Desilu was a production company but yeah. basically she was just like uh, yeah whatever she didn't actually read the original pilot people always think she had loads of hand in it the closest thing she had to having a hand in it was when they got cancelled after uh, the first season two hmm. and that whole writing campaign kicked off she was the one who said no let's give it another shot yeah. and all this sort of stuff well she kept doing that I mean like the first pilot was a failure and then she funded the second pilot no no it's just her production company she barely looked at any of it oh did she it's all a myth that she was like completely oh. involved in it or anything yeah I heard she it was just that she liked the idea of it and that came yeah. later when it was already successful but for, for as far as anyone can tell she never actually bothered reading the script or anything or she never actually I don't it. blame her but um <laughs> no. but 
yeah, Next Generation Season 1. It's all right. You can see the start, and it's better than Star Trek Picard. So yeah, that's what's important. That is what's important. Yeah. Okay. All right. And then we're gonna get. I'm in season two now. Started it, and we're gonna get. We're gonna get Borgs. Woo! Yeah. Yeah. Gonna get some of those rubber tubes. Yeah. It's quite fun watching um, Data stuff. I, I forgot Law was introduced in the first series. Data's evil twin. Um, because I always thought he was much later, but no, he's in. He's in the first season. And he's like, I've got emotions, and I can pretend to be like you, Data. And then he tricks the crew to thinking he's Data. All sorts of stuff. It's just crazy. And uh, yeah, fun show. They should make more of it. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, you review something now. Uh, yeah, okay. My next review is going to be... Um... You don't know. You haven't thought it no, 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 sorry. Stuff is slowly falling over. Uh, my next review is going to be the complete... First series of Amazon's American remake of Utopia, the 2011-2012 British British sci-fi mystery film based around the idea of a comic containing keys to a new viral outbreak in the world. Utopia. Utopia! Never heard of it. You've never heard of it? No. You never watched Utopia on Channel 4? No. I reviewed it not long ago, didn't I? Don't know. Uh, Who cares? So, um, as with all American remakes, there's there's something to be said about the the way that English people make stuff. Um, often it's quite good. It's often often like we get we make a series sort of with the intention of being like, all right, here's how many episodes. This is it done. Let's get it done. You've got programs like Dead Set and and The Office, um, Spaced. The IT crowd, uh, Red Dwarf—they've all attempted—they've all attempted, well, no, no, no. Uh, but they've all all of those series. What they had in common is that they attempted to make them in America, and they sort of missed the point. Um, and Utopia very much feels like a series that's missed the point. The American version feels very um, neutered. It's got a fucking incredible cast, though. Like when I say it feels neutered, like there's humor in there where there doesn't need to be humor. A lot of the characters. They they don't match the quality of the characters from the first from the original version, and there's nothing here that sets it apart that makes it so that you should watch this over the original two seasons that aired on Channel Four. Um, <coughs> for those of you that don't know about Utopia, um, very quick quick recap without any spoilers. Um, a group of people are very interested in a comic called Utopia that they find out has a sequel comic called Dystopia. And the various people that have an interest in Utopia do for their own personal reasons. Like, there is there is um, emotional reasons linked to each of the characters as to why they're doing it. Um, and, and they come together and it turns out that maybe some of the stuff in Utopia was true and is honest. And there's like a, there's a lot of hints in there as to what the government's doing, what's actually happening. Um, and they make contact with a person named Jessica Rabbit. Who, That's a trademark. No, sorry, character. Jessica Hyde. Jessica uh. Hyde. Um, whose dad's name is Mr. Hyde. Uh, but Jessica Hyde is someone who seems to be highly skilled at, um, at killing people and making her way around the world and sort of almost like a spy, but a spy that had some semblance of a beginning, like a, like a childhood that, that, um, was, was the precursor to her training. So she was sort of raised to be this thing, but raised in a really weird way. Mm. Like she had childhood. 
but her childhood was very was very um, sanitized and she would have visitors and live in this house that was her own house there wouldn't be a family living with her she would live by herself but someone would come every day to give her food and see her and talk to her but then they would leave her to her own device in this house again really weird um but anyway, and uh, and this group gets together at Comic Con or like the the low budget Amazon equivalent of Comic Con to bid on the sequel that's been discovered in this old man's house after he's died, um, and yeah, because they put their name down on a list with a bid, they start getting killed one by one. It's up to the four remaining ones to band together to find out what the mystery of Utopia is and what it has to do with a recent flu that's been breaking out in various places around the world. Um, on the side, there is also a subplot about a disease called Deal's disease, which is a genetic disorder where it's much like Parkinson's. It's like a very extreme version of Parkinson's, but instead of the tremors being, say, once a day, they sort of come along randomly every three or four days until eventually you just sort of tremor into a coma. So they become more and more extreme until you mm. just have like a have a have a stroke and then you fall into a coma and then you die. Um, and that's that's basically it for Utopia. It's like it is like a like a oh these are the secrets. This is what we've got to find mm. out. And we've got to work out how to do this. Um, what made the original the the English version version so interesting was it was just fucking grim, but at the same time, it would be so captivating and also really funny in a dark way. And Americans don't really do dark humour well. Like, their version of dark humour is they've always got to have, like... You'll get, like, a really well, dark... I think dark humour is just saying the bad words. Yeah. Well, <laughs> or dark humour will be... They'll say something that does, like... They'll say something that's that's quite grim and dark but funny. And then someone will come along and they'll be like, Whoa, you can't say that! And that's like the like that's that you got two jokes for one there. Because you got you got your dark joke, you got your wacky character coming in. Ooh, I recently watched um recently watched that Jason Bateman film, the one where the dad dies and they all have to shit, sit Shabba. And it's him, Kylo Ren, um who was the other person? It's just a bunch of famous people, basically. And their like old um rabbi is played by Jean Ralphio and they're basically like every time there's like a serious conversation he comes in and he's like he's like you guys have to stop calling me boner I don't have a boner anymore I mean I can get boners and they're like they're like this stuff they've had like a deep meaningful conversation with some quite funny jokes about death and the way that people react to death Mm. and then they've got someone saying boner 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 (laughs) just in case it got a bit dark for you here's some light (laughs) and it's like fuck's sake but um, this one yeah, Americans I mean, love non sequiturs. So there is the, the the equivalent scene in this that's so evident is in the original series. There's a character named Arby who is a hitman who will kill women, children, anyone to hide the secrets of the sequel to Utopia. What's happening? What this company is doing? Because he he is. They have these people that are just fervent believers in the cause, and the cause is that humanity is is growing too quickly. And and, and sounds like this comic would be a shitty read and rubbish. It, it, it's probably not like, that's good. kind of part of the joke of it is that it's mostly just drawings with like very little writing, yeah. and it's like it's more like an art comic than anything. You know, like the people that like the um, the Havoc and Wolverine comic, where it's like drawn by the same guy who did the original Man Bat comic for Batman, and it is just like watercolors very loosely within the lines, and then the lines are sort of still on the page in deep dark pen. And it's just like, it doesn't look great. It's, I mean, the comic, the stories are fine. It's just, it's hard to, sometimes it's hard to see when the scenes get darker. And it's just, oh. But anyway, so, um, yeah, so in the original UK version, there's a scene in which Arby, the, the, um, asthmatic assassin has, takes a gun and he walks into a school on a Saturday when he knows there are going to be some students and some teachers, but most people will be at home because it's the weekend. 
and he shoots every child and all the teachers in like visceral like it's a single shot where he's just walking around the school shooting people Ooh. and they're just screaming and running away and then he puts the gun on the floor and then uses the fingerprints from the little boy who um who happens to have a copy of Utopia he's one of the four people that sort of was part of this forum he puts his fingerprints on the gun and leaves them at the scene <gasps> and then he has a little boy that's dressed up like Grant like Grant like the little boy run out and then and then he goes the next scene it's him saying I got rid of the boy and it's like oh you found you found Grant already he goes no I found other Grant it's like which oh okay okay and he goes yes I got rid of our Grant and it's like oh you killed a kid killed more kids I mean you've killed kids already <laughs> um, in the American version he just gets a little boy and he goes he goes put this on he goes what's this and he goes it's a glove with Grant's fingerprints on it and he goes okay and he goes now go into the school and do what you've been trained to do and then he just drives off I was just like and like you know how it, it tells the same story mm-hmm. but there is one version that is showing us that these people are willing to do whatever and there's another one that sort of disconnects you from that feeling it's like oh they've got little boy assassins cool you know and it's just there's a lot of shit like that in this there's um at the beginning there's an extra character in the American version who's this blonde girl played by the one from Happy Death Day and Happy Death Day to You, really good actress. I was really glad to see her in it. Um, but she, as soon as Jessica Hyde sort of gets them together and saves them from the people that are trying to kill them, she turns around and she's like, she's like, okay, so what we need to do is we just need to work out what all our skills are and then we can use that information to sort of work through the puzzle and sort of find the results before anyone else. And Jessica Hyde shoots her in the head and says, there can't be two leaders. And I was like, she didn't show any indication she was leading. She was just coming up with a fucking plan. Nah, nah, kill her. And it was just like, it was this weird thing. It's like, you've introduced a character just to kill her. Like you were saying before, like, you've introduced a character that's a known entity because she's an actress that people who like horror films would know. You know, yeah, she's but they know now that she's going to come back to life and have another chance to, to, to that day. Never she's got to run through the day again. She's dead. Um, yeah, so it just feels like a toothless remake of something. Why didn't Amazon just make the third series? All the actors and actresses are still there. They'd still do it. Like, Does it need more? Did it finish? No, it didn't finish. Oh, why remake it then? That, uh, that's what I don't understand. <laughs> um, again, like, there is... Uh, this is all in the first, the first couple of episodes, so I'm not spoiling anything for anyone who wants to watch this. And I recommend you check it out, because it might be something you enjoy. It's just, if you've seen the original, I don't know how you could enjoy this more or even sort of entertain the idea that this is going to potentially get three seasons. If this gets three seasons over the original series, then why don't they just continue the original series? Um, there is a character in the beginning who is like a, a, a mad person. In the in the English version, he's built a bunker in his dad's back garden. like, And it is just like a corrugated iron shed that he's buried in the garden mm. and then like filled with supplies. It's like a really shit bunker, basically. It's someone who doesn't know what a bunker is or thinks they know what a bunker is, their idea of a bunker. In the American version, it's this massive fucking long, sh- long like, underground bunker under the shitty New York apartment. <laughs> yeah, but this is probably based on something. And chances are the original script was, like, massive, great, big, crazy bunker. But in the British version, they had 50 quid to make it with. I don't think, because I think it was written by... <laughs> I think it was written partly by Alex Garland. Yeah, he probably... Overshot, but, um, but yeah, but sorry. So in the English version, everybody goes off to go and find stuff, um, and they leave him in there because he's like, "Look, I'll keep doing research on this, and you guys go off." And the killers find him in there, oh. 
And they torture him by taking sand, bleach, and then a spoon to his eye. They basically say, like, I'm going to start with the sand. He puts on these gloves and he gets some sand on his fingers. And he goes over to the guy's eyes and he starts rubbing deep into the eyes with this, like, sand all over his fingers just to, like, pour it, like, get Mm. really into his eyes. And he goes, if you don't answer our questions to a satisfactory degree, I'm going to go to the bleach. And then if we continue not to get the answers we want, I'm going to go to the spoon. And so he goes to the bleach and then finally goes to the spoon and pulls the guy's eye out. And the guy basically, because um, he's a conspiracy knight, he teaches himself how to get out of handcuffs and stuff like that. Mm. So he manages to get out of the handcuffs, gets a gun, and even though he can barely see, he can just sort of see shapes. He's probably done that before he got sand in his eyes. Yeah, probably. Um, <laughs> he probably should have, shouldn't he? Um, as, as he's like... As he's like barely able to see, the guy jumps from side to side trying to, and he, he just gets off a lucky shot and gets the guy in the lung and like really fucks up his collarbone as well. I think he gets him twice, like up here and then mm. sort of more towards the lung. Um, and uh, and then he, that character comes back and he comes back as this like ghoulish, like he can't move that arm anymore. Mm. So the arm's sort of like pinned to his body all the time, uh, all time. And like sort of his face is slightly slack, like where his collar, collarbone he was. He a stroke. Yeah, I think so. Like, I think that's what the indication is. And he sort of limps now. And, um, and he has to work with the guy that he tortured earlier. And this guy is just afraid of him the whole time. Even though he's a ghoulish, broken human being that couldn't win a fight with him if he wanted to, there's like this panic and this fit. And it like, it, the fact that he's calm and the other character isn't is fucking tense. But in this, like, he, he, that same character is just killed off. He gets an axe in the head and then he's like, you just wasted a character that's one of like it, he's one of the best efficient less film less things film <laughs> less actors to play. also like the whole original one was about colour like they have this big yellow bag and Arby the serial killer like the, the assassin has like a yellow jacket the guy who carries the bag is wearing this completely blue like nice suit and all the characters have like a colour motif like they drive through fields and you've got like colour saturated green with like this bright blue background it's all set in England and it's just fucking it's beautiful like green yeah. But um, but yeah, it's all shot shot beautifully and it's saturated. The American version, nothing like that. No, no color coding, no like no. And it's like I said, it's just the Americans' idea of something. It's like this weird like, it's like mush, isn't it? It's like flavorless mush. If you like you, if you make someone spaghetti bolognese here, you can taste the spaghetti. You can taste the, the yeah. But the, the first new... one didn't get a third series, so you got, you got change, a second series. You got to change everything. You got a second series. Yeah. The only reason it didn't get a third series is apparently it didn't resonate with an audience, but it got like massively. Never heard of it. No, it got it. massively great reviews with like critics and stuff. Mm. I've watched. I watched the first season years ago, and then I never got around to watching the second season. And I watched the second season last year, and I've watched it for again since. And it's fucking great. I love it. Genuinely love it. It's a great series. Sounds like more of your misery porn again. Yeah, a little bit. Your review at oh, uh, I give it. Uh, <clears throat> I give it a John Cusack, like, give or take you, mate. Yeah. Yeah, give it to you, mate. You know, you know what it is. Yeah, you dumb? Yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ. Jesus. Right. Uh, I watched Tokume Sentai Go Busters. Ooh. That's my 11th Super Sentai series, not counting the two. Seasons of Akiba Ranger, which are unofficial Super Sentais. They don't count in the grand number of things. But at 11, I'm now one quarter through all of Super Sentai. Oh, nice. Yeah. Until next year when the fifth, 45th series starts, um, which is... The name got trademarked this week. The 45th series is going to be called Kikai Sentai Zenkaija. Kikai means machine, so mm. it's going to be something to do with machines. 
But anyway, Tokumi Sentai Go Busters, 2012 series. Um, it's the one that the current seasons of Power Rangers were based on. The Beast Morphers was based on it, which is like crazy. Eight years out, they made Power Rangers based on it. But Go Busters is like, they were going with a different approach because this was after the 35th anniversary season, um, Go Kaija. Yeah. So they were like, okay, it's time to refresh. We've done the big Super Sentai celebration. Let's give a new feel. So the Rangers have like leather costumes rather than spandex now. Um, they've gone back to that sort of spy and special ops motif that the original shows had. Okay. Where they were like a secret agency doing things. And they're like, basically, there's a big old energy towers called Enetron Towers. And their job is to protect them from evil forces. What and do the Enetron Towers do? They make energy for the town. Same thing they do in Beast Morphers. They kept that. The big old energy generating things that mm-hmm. tap into some mysterious thing um, for energy. But they basically, the backstory is their parents years and years ago, like 13 years ago, were working on this ability to tap into like another dimensional power grid. Yeah. Um, and some big accident happened and their entire facility got transported into this other dimension. <gasps> no. Where it's kind of clear they wouldn't have survived. But the kids, <laughs> the kids were there, yeah. like three kids, and they were kind of sent back. They managed to send them back. That's all they, all they managed to send back. Mm. Um, and those three kids were then basically, because they've been exposed to the other dimension, where there's an evil vil- monster, you know, digital a- enemy called the M Messiah, who was basically the computer construct they were using yeah. for this experiment, they would be able to survive in this other dimension. So they've been getting trained since they were children to be special operatives, to eventually one day go in there, rescue all their family that are supposed who may still be alive. Yeah. Because you get little hints that they might still be alive. Okay. Um. And go in there and save the day and destroy Messiah and all this sort of stuff. Um, and that's not Messiah is a very naughty boy. Yeah. But then nothing's really happened since then, though. They've been training. Two of them have stayed at the facility, um, Ryoji and um, Yoko. Um, Yoko's the youngest one. She's like 15, and she was a little toddler at the start, so she's like she's like the youngest one of the group. She must have been young when she met her... Um, when she what? John Lennon. <laughs> no. But... Yeah, when the other one, Hiramu, he's been living off elsewhere with his sister, who wasn't yeah. at the facility at the, on that day, but he's been living off there with her. And they've all got, like, buddy robots called buddy roids. Okay. Um, because, of course, that's the, some of the crazy technology they were making at this facility. I'm thinking of all the merchandising. Yeah. Um, and Hiramu's got one called Nick Cheetah, who's a... Turns Nick into Cheetah, a motorbike. Dog, uh... Yeah. He, he's the only one who transforms into something he can ride. The other two are just like a big gorilla called Gorosaki. I thought you were going to say and, um, dick. a little rabbit guy called Usada. Yoko got the short stick here with the rabbit. Um, it's basically just like an R2-D2. Imagine R2-D2 as a yellow rabbit. Just a bin upside with two shoes underneath. Yeah. Um, so they're like, you know, then one day monsters turn up. Robotic looking monsters. And they don't know who's created them, where they come from. They know Messiah is something to do with it, though, because it seems like Messiah's got enough energy to send stuff through from the other dimension to to Tokyo or wherever it is it's set. Um, and, you know, that's their thing. They're going to defend the Enetron Towers, stop Messiah siphoning the energy because he needs the energy to send stuff through. Uh, and, and Messiah sent someone called Escape. or en- No, Enter. Escape comes later. Enter's weird. He talks with a bit. He's got... French flourishes in his voice every now and again. He'll say Savar and C'est la vie and all this sort of stuff. And he's very sort of like enigmatic type person. Bit weird. Bit of a strange character. He always though is some other plan he's got going on in the back of his mind. But um, yeah, series trundles along. And as I say at the start, it starts off feeling very different. Like it's all 
Like for the first few episodes, it's like Mission Impossible. They have some sort of mission they have to perform. And there's like a whole crazy series of events that they have to pull off. Like they have to, you know, save a truck from these other, from, they have to protect a truck as it's being transported to another location. And they have like decoy trucks and stuff like that. And they do all this crazy stuff to keep it safe. Um, and it starts off with that. But then there comes a point where clearly there probably wasn't working with the ratings and stuff. So you start feeling the Super Sentai tweaks mm. and it starts becoming more like a regular season. It doesn't go to the point where they go full on Super Sentai at any point. Like the the monsters don't tend to have plots that are like I'm going to turn people into like cake or something and they have to defeat the monster it's to the turn it from fucking plan. It's the greatest plan. The villains usually have something as simple as we're going to steal Enentron and I have a crazy power that's going to help me do it. The best ones there's one who's got a vacuum cleaner thing mm. and he's sucking Enentron out of cars. And his whole attitude is just like like he's some bored guy who's just trying to do his job. And I kind of love that guy. Because he's just like, the monster's coming along. like, no, just, can you deal with them? I'm busy here. Oh, God, they're interfering again. And he's like... We've got some of that classic interfere on. Sucking Enatron up from a car. He's standing there. And you just see him in the background just sort of going... <sighs> like, well, he's bored witless. I love that monster. Um, but yeah, there's, there's all sorts of crazy stuff goes on in here. There's clearly a lot of stuff through the series where they're trying to... Rev- Give it a bit of a boost. They introduced the Gold and Silver Ranger and the Gold Ranger's played by a guy who was in Magi Ranger. So it's like bringing an old, you know, Super Sentai hero back as a different character. So yeah. people go, you know, that'll get people to notice. Um, Silver Ranger's Beat J Stag, who's great. He's called Stealing Beast Morphers. He's like just weird. He keeps going off topic, wanders off. He loves animals. And every now and again, you'll just see him doing stuff like he's got twigs and he's leaves and he's like brushing the walls with them for some reason and it's just a thing that's happening in the background fair enough um there's an episode where he's got a pet beetle that goes missing and the villains make a monster out of a beetle and he assumes that beetle is his beetle so he keeps trying to reason with it Aww. and they destroy the beetle and there's like well, they've been fighting the beetle and they've had to escape the beetle monster mm. and then, while they're having this whole conversation about what they're going to do to do with enter's thing in the background is beach just sitting on the floor like looking all depressed and then he gets up and they're like right beat we're going to need you to do something he says no worries I shall sort this out I shall go fight my beetle myself and I shall defeat him he's like no we, we need you to take care of the Megazord that's coming oh um, the villain's robots are called Megazords when they're calling the big oh, Megazords now so they've actually got like their own Megazords yeah, there's a bunch of Power Ranger references in it oh, they even say it's morphing time yeah Uh-oh. and then they go let's morph in but they press the thing on their wrist thing and he goes it's morphing time can they remix it no it does make noises though it's because no. it's a it's a Power Rangers thing, of course. Remix it talks and makes loads of noises. Um, I quite like them. The, but things in this that aren't like Super Sentai, though. Like I said, the costumes are very different because they're not spandexy. Mm-hmm. It's the first time since like 1980 something they haven't been spandex. Um, they don't have like transformation sequences where it's all like flashy lights flowing all over the place. It's literally they bring up the things, press the button, and the suit appears on them. It like goes pew, digital numbers floating around, matrixy effects. Yeah, and then the helmet appears with no visor in there, and then the little visor flips up on the wrist thing and it goes and hits on their face like hmm. a shake in Power Rangers it's just a big swirly thing and they're morphed yeah um, I remember but in this it's like but because of that it now means the show has to do more complex transformations because every time they morph you've got the regular actor they do the thing and then they have to go and change into their uniform without the helmet on and then they have to stand for a bit longer and then they make put the helmet on their head without the visor the and then they have to bring up the visor and the visor goes on then it's the stunt performer oh. so that's three stages to shoot one more sequence the face. no it's all there's a couple of moments when like 
they've done a little bit of that, but it's usually when they're doing something flashy. But it's yeah. kind of, it does lead to some really cool sequences where they're like they're mid fight and they morph mid fight, and you'll have the actors going boom like that, and the uniform comes on without the helmet, and they carry on fighting, and they turn and pop the helmet on, mm. and then turn again and pop the visor on. And it's all done mid actions, and oh, that's cool. It's like they put some real effort into doing these really flashy transformations, but yeah. without without cutting away to stock footage. And that's one thing, the show doesn't feature much stock footage. Like, when they call the Mechas, about the only time that you get stock footage stuff. Okay. And those shows tend to rely a lot on, you know, here's my pre-canned special effect we're going to use. Yeah, here's the here's one we made earlier. But um, I really like that approach to it. Um, and they don't have a pose. The closest thing to a pose is they they announce themselves, and they go, like, blue buster, red buster. Yeah. But they literally just stand there and, like, you know, give a thumbs up or... Yellow Buster like grabs hold of her. She's got like braces where the weapons are attached to, and she just goes little like that, little tweak, and that's as close as it comes to a pose. And they all stand up and go, "Busters, ready, go!" And then they run off. And there's no like big poses. Um, oh. So it's, it feels very different. And I can understand why some fans probably didn't like the series much because it is it's like Super Sentai through a different lens, and it's almost Americanized in some ways. Yeah, especially the leather costumes. They look like something from Arrow. Um, but yeah, it's fun. There is a great movie. They did. Um, it was actually after the series, but it's definitely set during the series. I think you've, I think you've said that line about sixty times when talking about Super Sentai. It's after the series. It's definitely during the series. This one's set specifically on New Year's Eve. Yeah. Um, but they have an event where all the Go Busters die. Some crazy thing happens, and um, forgive one of the characters, uh, Nick Cheetah, is the one millionth person to die. So he gets given a wish. And he meets God, and God is escape for some reason. He's not escape, but he's just familiar. And his wish is to bring everyone back and start over again. And it goes right the way back to the start of the year. And then you get this alternate reality version of them, where they're more like Super Sentai. Mm. And it basically, the movie runs along like you're watching the series in fast forwards. And it will come up with episode titles that are really ridiculous. And they've got, like, they're called Dabutsu Sentai Go Busters now. And they have all the dramatic storylines and the romance plots come on. There's a Green Ranger gets introduced and then it cuts to like some episode later and the Green Ranger dies. And there's like a big like, no moment. It's like we literally just met him two seconds ago. But it's funny now. <laughs> um, and the main character's got a big scarf on because all the classic Super oh, Sentai yeah, heroes yeah. have a scarf. Um, and then they, the whole thing happens again and they die. And Nick Cheetah's the one millionth person to die again. So he wishes to go back to the moment <laughs> when it died the first time, but bring the Dabutsu Sentai Go Busters with them. All right. And you have like two teams of Go Busters. Does it just keep going until they've got like hundreds of them? No, they only need two teams in the yeah. end. But when they save the day, the other team are raised from history because, you know, Nick would have never died and created the other universe, which Yeah, created... I see what he did there. Yeah. But yeah. it's kind of fun when they go to the other universe and you've got like Jin, the Gold Ranger guy, has got a stick on beard. Yeah. Now, um, and everyone's like slightly more fascisty in the other. Well, I say fascisty, it's that. It's that military look that the um, Japanese people loved in the 80s. Oh, yeah. Um, that Even the commander's got a little Hitler moustache going on for some oh. reason, which is a bad choice. There's bad facial hair all around in that film. But it's like, we're a military commander and I've got a vague Navy looking hat and all this sort of stuff. But um, it's, a, it's a fun series. It leads up to a cool finale where... Actually, it has like three finales because um, they kill Messiah halfway through the series. Um, and then Escape Turn does stuff because Escape's always been pulling strings behind the scenes. He's always got more plans upon plans. Um, but there's some really cool stuff there. Like Escape, he can revive himself as long as there's these cards present that had Messiah's code on them. So as yeah. long as parts of Messiah's code exist, he can regenerate himself. And he put one of the cards into Hiramu without him realising, like magic stuff. 
Um, so he can't die unless Hiramu dies. So at least this whole finale scenario where there is only one answer for how they're going to deal with escape, to deal with Enter, and it would be to kill Hiram, the Red Ranger. And obviously they can't with plans on top of plans to solve that. It's fine. But I like that the finale was like, it didn't turn into some massive over-the-top battle in the middle of a desert or something. It's like, Enter doesn't have some ridiculous form that's got tentacles coming out all over the place and he doesn't grow giant or anything. Um, he eventually, like, because he's picking up um, information from the people he's taken stuff from. Yeah. Um, he's picking up Hiramu's env- ev- information. He eventually gets his own Beast Morphers suit that's like an evil version of Hiramu's, oh. which is what Blaze wears all the way through Beast Morphers. Yeah. Um, you know, the two villains in that. Um, kind of. Yeah, Blaze and Roxy. Um, but in that, that's like Blaze's costume. It's like an evil Red Ranger costume. But it's only in the, like, the last three episodes of Beast Morphers, mm. of Bo- Go Busters. It's the whole way through Beast Morphers. I'm surprised there aren't more series where like humans are turned to the evil side by monsters. And then it's like humans versus humans. Like a little bit more of that going on. There's all sorts. They've done a million things. It's yeah. usually an alien invasion. I know. It's almost always an alien invasion. This one, not though. Meg, my Interdimensional invasion. Grow. Very different. Um... Yeah, there's a there's a movie as well, which is like a Dino special movie, and it really feels like the Ghostbusters just sort of turned up to someone else's movie. Yeah, because it's it's very much about the the following years, Dino team and the old Dino teams, which they turned into a Dino special for Beast Morphers, and they that's how they got Jason back for an episode. Okay. Um, but that movie they maybe must they have us have edited so much out of that for make that Beast Power Rangers special because the whole last half hour is just dinosaurs fighting dino stuff um but beast morphers it's, it's it's quite fun i enjoyed it it's a bit all over the place it doesn't really go for massive major dramatic moments like some of the other series is mm. there's very few moments where they're like you know they've been beaten down multiple times and they're gonna get back up and they're gonna fight and keep fighting there's no massive rousing speeches it's very much we're gonna get a job done because we're a special ops team we're not a bunch of you know crybaby teenagers this time um you know they're gonna they're gonna do stuff and they're gonna fight and then they're going to call giant monsters and they get a big lion one. I like the lion one. Hmm. Um, it shouts a lot and I recognise the voice and it's the guy who does the theme song to um, Voice Lugger um, and I recognised his voice. He's a, he's an old anime voice Oh, person. right, okay. It's like you recognise it. Um, oh, also, they need better helmets in that show because their helmets are constantly breaking. The visors keep blasting to pieces so they can get the, the active inside the costume. Hmm. Um I've never watched the Super Sentai series when they've broken quite that often. It's usually like, say, for one dramatic moment. It happens like like at least seven or eight times in this series. It happens like four times in the last few episodes. But good for them. Anyway, it's all right. I can see why they base Beast Morphers on it, because, you know, it's technological stuff. It's cool. Um, you know, because the alternative would have been Trains or Zeroja, which is all magical. And I don't think Power Rangers want to do that magical stuff right now. No. It's Hasbro. They like their technology and their robots. That's what they're good at. Well, it's easy to, easy to market. For yeah. Kids. Have you seen the new toys they're doing? No. They're doing they're doing action figures of the Zords, but they're like proper, fully articulated. Like, oh, cool. Like transformer quality. If I see one on Amazon for very cheap, I'll buy it. They're only bringing out one, which is a Zeo Ranger Zord. No idea. Which, um, but it's all articulated shit. Cool. And they're doing a... Um, like that one. Well, that one's not articulated in the slightest. Oh. But, um, but like the one I bought you? Yeah, it's not articulated at all. The Spanish one? Yeah. Hola, mi yeah. amo pal, Ranger. Yeah. Zoya, Ranger. Zoya, Ranger. Um, but no, Go Busters. It's fun. I liked it. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right. I'll have to watch 
I'm watching O-Ranger now, which is the one Power Ranger Zio is based on. So yeah. that's my next one. It's the one that became came before the A-Ranger. Yeah, sure. Because A-Levels came after O-Levels. Anyway, so uh, so I've got another I've got another movie review. Oh, Matt's man. movie reviews. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watched the Nola Holmes. <laughs> okay. Is that yeah. funny? I don't know. Is that hilarious? Um, yeah, I mean maybe something to laugh about. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched Nola Holmes, which is the story of Sherlock Holmes's younger sister, who is whilst not only fighting with her brothers, Minecraft. Yeah. <laughs> when not fighting with her brothers Mycroft and Sherlock, she's having her own wacky adventures in a search to find her missing mother. Oh, wouldn't that be Sherlock's mother as well? Yeah, he doesn't care as much. No. Nor does Mycroft. Strange. Hmm. Uh, basically, they turn up and they're like, where's mother gone? Mother's such a free-willing spirit. She's obviously gone off to have an adventure. You, Enola, need to make sure that you are becoming a proper lady and that you will one day have a husband. This is Minecraft speaking. And to make sure that happens, I'm going to send you to school to learn how to be a proper lady. Whereas Sherlock is like, listen, she's clearly very intelligent. Maybe she is gifted in the way that the family is gifted and, he, and her brother is. And, and Minecraft just re- retorts with, but she's a woman. She will do womanly things. I'm not hearing another of this. Well, Minecraft is Sherlock Holmes' like slightly less impressive brother. Yeah. What was My- the film? The one with the... There was actually a film or a TV show which was Sherlock Holmes's not so clever brother or something. Oh, I don't know. Was it Eric Idle or Gene Wilder? Probably. Um, yeah. But yeah, so um, so yeah, Mycroft play. He's her ward because he's the older brother. So he essentially has been um, has been brought in to look after her and act as her representative legal guardian. Um, but she begs Sherlock to take over that take over that responsibility because Sherlock is. For all intents and purposes, a warmer character in this series. Mm. He's not quite his callous. Oh, that's actually caused some problems. That yeah, well, legally. More on that. More <laughs> on that in a second. Um, it's a fun enough film, and you know, uh, it's Millie Bobby Brown. She's very good in it. She's very sprightly and happy, and and sort of she plays the part well. Mm. Uh, Helena Boffin Carter plays plays Boffin. her mother Boffin. Bonham. Bonham, sorry, Carter. My plays. great aunt used to work for that. My great grand used to work really? for them. Oh yeah, you told yeah. me about this recently. Yeah. Uh, but she she plays the mother who's gone missing. Uh, Henry Cavill is uh, obviously been advertised quite a lot. The Adventure of Sherlock Holmes' smarter brother. That's ah. the one I'm thinking of. Sherlock Holmes is played by Henry Cavill, who's who's very good, very charming as always. Hmm. And um, and the uh, Minecraft is played by Sam Claflin, Claflin, who you'll remember. As being the boy that falls in love with a mermaid in the fourth Pirates of the Caribbean movie, your favourite series. Oh, I've mostly forgotten the fourth Pirates of the Caribbean right, okay. movie because it wasn't good. Fifth uh, one's all right though. In a really odd link to Utopia, the man who who lost his eye in the original British series plays uh, Detective Lestrade. Ah. Despite the fact that he is black, he is apparently a detective in Victorian London. Yeah, it would be. That'd be fine. Victorian London wasn't as racist as you think. Like. Being anti-black is like quite a new thing. I thought that Victorian London they couldn't hold positions of power. No, you can get you can get black police officers and stuff. Maybe not a major detective, but who cares? It's a yeah, fictional that's world. True. No, absolutely true. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. All in all, it's it's <coughs> fun. Combs, it's not real. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. It's very spree. It's not like offensive in any way. Um, it's just it's just quite a nice little movie. They're clearly setting up for a sequel. And I thought it was a TV series when I first see. I thought that it. as well. Yeah. Um, it's clearly setting up for a sequel, and it seems like uh, Helena Bonham Carter is going missing again. 
but you don't really get the sense that she's like, oh, I have to go on this adventure. You don't really get the sense that she couldn't take Enola with her. Is she much older than Henry Cavill? Who? Helena Bonham Carter? Yeah. Yeah, she's like 50-odd. Yeah, but Henry Cavill's like 40. 42. Yeah. Why do I know that? Sam Kaplan's younger than him. Yeah. Who knows? I don't care. Um, do you remember when Helen Bonham Carter was in charge of Skynet? Yeah. And she had <laughs> cancer. She lost all her hair. And she's like, Sam Worthington. Oh, why is that her and Sam's? Uh, Sam Worthington, we made you a Terminator man. Be good. And he's like, no! People say that film's better than Dark Fate these They're days. Wrong. Fucking idiots. They are wrong. Um, so anyway, so yeah. Uh, <clears throat> uh, by the way, this completely middle of the ground film, I think it's going to be much better for a younger audience. But at the same time, I didn't hate it. It was fine. Um, it's made for teens. It's a yeah, yeah. Essentially, it's just made for teens. It's like literally down the middle for me. I could watch it. It could be on in the background. Yeah, there's I, a whole bunch of books because it's um, Enola Holmes is a series of books. Yeah, that they've done. Doesn't she die in Sherlock Holmes? Like she's not talked about. There's look. She's there's, mentioned in Sherlock the Holmes. Extended the family of Sherlock Holmes is nonsense because yeah. here's the thing with Sherlock Holmes: it's public domain, but some of it isn't. Yeah, so that's what I was going to get to. <laughs> yeah. So the people that sued the company that made this because mm. Sherlock Holmes... Apparently they sued him because the character of Sherlock Holmes appears warmer in regard than he is actually written in the original text. Mm. Um, and I thought, okay, this sounds like something that like a crazy family would do. I get it. So I did a little bit of research. It turns out that no one who's related to Arthur Conan Doyle is alive still. They're all like second cousins. Yeah. Like, he didn't have any children... So there's no direct. But well, he had no intention of him being kept under his control no, as no. well. He he was yeah. all like, "Yeah, whatever, fuck it." He had <laughs> he had no children, so the people that actually own this are all like barely related to him. Mm. And then also they sue everyone who makes any Sherlock rendition to try and get some cheddar. Yeah, there was um, Star Trek: Next Generation season two has an episode I actually watched today yeah. um, called "Elementary Dear Data," and it's a great episode, fantastic episode. It doesn't feature Sherlock Holmes. Data plays Sherlock Holmes in yeah. it. Um, features Moriarty though. But um, they they, after they did it, they got sued over yeah. it. Um, and it took like f- five years to sort it out before they did the famous episode where Moriarty wants to leave the um, Enterprise and all this. But um, yeah, apparently it was all, apparently they claim it was all down to misunderstanding, but I think they just try their luck. It's like the Tolkien family, isn't it? Where they're just like weirdly possessive over this thing that they don't really have possession of. Yeah, they just sort of, they hold on to it and they put their claws. Hmm. But... The problem is that, like, I I would understand if it was like they were portraying him in a negative light because of the the warmth that he gives off. Mm. But like, no, it's just he's just a character. But it's because specifically they say um, Sherlock Holmes can't have any emotions or something. Yeah, he doesn't have emotions in this period of writing or something. And it's like <sighs> it's dumb. It's so fucking dumb. Uh, but yeah, so Enola Holmes, perfectly fine. I can't really think of an actor that's just down the middle. It like, sounds to me like the concept that make a really good BBC kids TV show, like yeah, week after week. I really hope they get a sequel because yeah. I think that they've ironed out a lot of the. Uh, the problem with the the film is it takes on like a almost like a mystery of the week style mm. thing. So they've got like a mystery that she sort of sort of falls into and has to help with, mm. and it's all about this kid who's being hunted and potentially is is. Yeah, she's been hunted by Drake, isn't it? Is that the thing, Millie Bobby Brown? Is it Drake? I'm pretty sure it's Drake, who's like basically clearly grooming her. Oh, right, the one who keeps chatting her up. Yeah, apparently. Yeah, no, yeah. that's a different thing. Yeah, that's real life. Oh, darker than the film. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but no, Drake's she, a pedophile. Yeah, um, she falls in with this with this boy who's sort of on the run as well, and it turns out that he is quite well off, and um, 
someone has hired assassins to chase him down and kill him. Hmm. And so she just, basically she goes off to try and solve where her mum is, but at the same time, like as a side plot, she's sort of trying to protect him because he can't defend himself. And she's, her mum taught her all of the arts. Like that was the kind of the thing is, both Sherlock and Mycroft don't appreciate the education she got from her mother, despite the fact that they obviously had the same... because they don't like women. Well, it's that, and also the fact that she wasn't taken to school at any point. Like, all the education came from her mother, and they think it's marred her sense of judgment and, like, made her into just another version of a mother, mother who's, like, considered a wild woman, because she just does whatever. A wild woman. Uh, real wild strange. Yeah. Um, God damn, that transphobe seeking into this episode, didn't she? Mm. Um, but yeah, no, like, I just really. Right, you've never worked on a Harry Potter project. I have. My name is attached to a Harry Potter, Potter piece of media. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to make sure because. Mm. No, you're right. I haven't. Yeah. 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 Thank you for that. Um, but yeah, that's, that's it. I don't really have anything else to say about it. Your review, Ant. Fuck you. Right, yeah. last review. Yeah. I watched your name. Oh! Yeah. The anime? Yeah. I thought you were going to do Mario. No, that's your thing. Oh, I'm doing Mario. Yeah, I'm putting oh, you in a corner. God damn it, I thought I was... Yeah, I'm not going to do Mario. I had another review lined up. Your wasn't... name. Yeah. Your name's great. It is really good, isn't Fucking it? great anime. Um, I, I didn't know... All I knew about it beforehand was that it's a body swap comedy thing, which is what everyone should know to begin with, because if you know anything that happens past like the 40-minute mark in this then you've ruined the film for yourself. This is kind of like Serenity with Matthew McConaughey. You mustn't know what the plot twist is in this film yeah. because it will ruin the experience for you. Um, I don't usually care about spoilers and stuff, but you mustn't spoil this. But the premise is, girl and a boy, they keep waking up, thinking they're having a dream of being in someone else's body or being someone else. Turns out they're swapping bodies every now and again. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't always remember every single event. It's kind of like there's a bit of haziness to it. That's why they assume it's a dream. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like them discovering each other's lives and living different lives. And, you know, she keeps sort of trying to get him on a date with a girl he fancies and stuff. And, you know, every, the girl prefers him as more feminine. Um, <laughs> I love that. But, um, yeah. And every morning he wakes up and he just grabs his tits yeah. when he's the girl in the, he's like, Wait, which in the girl's body and the sister comes in and she's, and she's like, you're grabbing your boobs again. And he's like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I really loved it. Like the detail details in this. Like a fantastic. It's like part of the story is like modernism in Tokyo against like traditionalism outside of Tokyo. Yeah. Um, and there's like a links between the two of them and family dynamics as well. Yeah. Like his, like her family, her dad's basically disappeared to be a politician and, mm-hmm. you know, she lives with her grandma and stuff. Um, and you find out why that's always really late in the film. It's sad. Um, and his family, on the other hand, he's living in Tokyo. Like a lot of school kids in Tokyo just have their own apartments. Yeah. Like they just have. They don't have his like family. It's like a studio, stuff. isn't it? They're but he's like, with his dad, and that's yeah. that's it. Like he barely interacts with him. He just leaves there, goes to work, goes to school. That's all there is for him. But um, yeah, and loads of little stuff in it. Like whenever they're in each other's bodies, they're animated differently. Mm. So like when when the girl's in his body, he's animated like you would expect a girl to be animated in an anime. So, like, when he goes to pick something up from the floor, it's like dainty little steps and a drop down, and then, you know, he blushes and stuff like that. And that's, like, quite a lot of comedy. If you're into your animation techniques, like, that's a masterclass. It's a beautiful film as well. Um, I also love... One thing I really love and wasn't expecting was how many times it turns into an anime title sequence. 
Like every now and again, it'll just, it's got a full blown anime title sequence at the start. Yeah. With a theme song, which I wasn't expecting because <laughs> most anime movies don't go into that sort of territory. It's the uh, director. I think he's an anime director. Yeah. It's Mahoto Koda or something. Yeah, like that. I can't remember his name. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah. And then halfway through, there's a montage. It happens twice in more in the film. Um, one of them sets a Zense Zense Zense, which is a song that's on Taiko no Titsujin on the Switch. Cool. Um, but yeah, that's like just nice turn into a Japanese anime title sequence. Mm. Lots of characters turning around in the wind and doing crazy zany things. It's like, yeah. but um, It's the same director as Weathering With You, isn't it? It might be. Yeah. Um, check. Yeah, yeah, Weathering With You, yeah. yeah. That's the new one. That's, That's his new, new one, one. yeah. Because yeah. this was 2016. But, um, oh yeah. yeah. But um, your name, I've been meaning to watch this for ages because it came out three years ago now. Yeah, 2016. Um, yeah, 2016 yeah. Japan, we got it like a year later and it was the most successful Japanese film of all time yeah. for a while. Yep. Um, did Shin Godzilla beat it though? I think Shin Godzilla stepped ahead. Potentially. Yeah, because I think this was like a situation like what happened in India when one film became because there was like for years Sholay was the most successful Indian film. Yeah. And then Chennai Express came out and beat it, and it was like a major deal and became more successful. And then like three months later, Dark Three came out and beat that. Um, and the Dark films are great. If you've ever watched uh, Now You See Me and thought these films could do with more musical numbers, watch the Dark films. Because they're just basically magicians doing heists. Mm. It's great. Um, but with songs. Um, but yeah, your name's fantastic. Like, just, I say, the animation's beautiful. The music's fantastic. The friggin' premise is, like, you, you sit off with a body swap comedy that's been done a million times before. But um, just the way it's handled is different. Like, the way they write notes to each other, and it starts off with just, like, a little note on the hand, and then it ends up like a full diatribe down mm. the arms and stuff. Um, Doesn't she want, at one point, she gives him her class schedule, doesn't she? Don't know, does she? I can't remember. There's like one day where he gets like some really boring note down his arm, and he's like, "Oh, it's a class schedule for today or something like that." I can't, can't remember. It's been so long since I've watched it, but I remember loving it when I watched it. Mm. Um, now they leave rules and stuff for what they can and yeah. can't do with each other's body, which like he ignores one of them anyway. Mm. Um, definitely ignores one of them multiple times. <laughs> but um, yeah, and it does like it avoids falling into all the usual tropes and stuff and it just rushes through the whole body swap thing it kind of has a little bit of a feeling like free like you're rushing through a whole anime series like i could totally imagine this being a complete series where you know for like the first six episodes it's the body swap stuff and then you get a plot twist and that's where the second half of the film would be the next few episodes because it definitely builds in a similar way to that because those little montage bits where it turns to the musical yeah. moments like it feels like a break and the the, the twist in the tail and stuff um, it's essentially three sections. This film is, you know, the the original premise, the big plot twist, and then the solving everything towards the end. Um, fantastic ending as well. Mm. It's a great film. But yeah, it, it's I, I am supremely put off by most anime these days because yeah, they fall into weird camps. There's you got your pervy anime. Mm-hmm. You've got your I'm trying to sell stuff anime, mm. which I don't tend to. It's fine, but. Uh, and getting stronger through friendship anime and getting stronger through friendship anime tends to be coupled with the selling stuff anime that's where you get your Dragon Ball Z's and your One Pieces yeah. and Naruto's and I stuff the, I think the two films that I would recommend to you if you were going to watch anything after this watch well actually free I'd watch Weathering With You because it's actually stronger than your name but didn't mm. do as well yeah I really fucking like that film um, and then it may fall a little bit into that other category the Making Friends Friends one but the Beast uh, sorry Beast Stars A Boy and His Beast oh. really fucking good anime um, and also Sword of the Stranger really good animes they're both the art style is fucking phenomenal in both of those well, the one I want to watch is Violet Evergarden at some point I've never heard of that. Um, 
it's a, if I remember rightly, if it's the one I think it is, because I saw it come up on Netflix, um, it's about a woman who basically lives for hundreds of years and she sees her family live and die over the years and it's oh. a generational thing going on. But um, no. You know, like me! Your name. It's fantastic. I can't really say much about it without spoiling it. Oscar, I don't want to spoil it. it. Uh, I don't know about Oscars. It definitely oh, won massive awards in Japan. Like, I don't know if it did win an Oscar. I think it went up against Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Or was that a year after? That would have been the same year, 2017. Yeah, I think it went yeah. up against that, that one. Yeah, because Into the Spider-Verse yeah, is longer ago than I thought. Where's mm. my copy? I don't know. Is it my review? Um, 2018 was Spider-Man. Yeah, because oh, okay. that would be about when, Wonder, when, when your name came out over here. Because yeah. it was a couple of years. It was a while before it got released outside Japan. Oh, okay. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. You, yeah Toho you, Animation, isn't it? Yeah, Toho Studio. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Toho Animate, 90% of the stuff is Toho yeah. or Toei. They're, like, they're in charge of That's everything true. in Japan. Um, okay, yeah. So my last review is going to be part of... This is probably going to be part one of two of Super Mario All-Stars. No, just, just... I can't review the whole thing. I'm not done with the whole thing, Ant, you fuck. No. So uh, Super Mario All Stars came out on the on the on the on the 3DS. Well, I played um, a bit of the Nintendo them. Swatch. Swatch. Waluigi. Um. So and uh, Mario, eh? Got his 3D All Stars. They released Mario All Stars on the on the on the on the say it's <sighs> Super Nintendo for Nintendo Switch Online. Yeah, they released that. Yeah, console. Yeah. Why don't I just call it Virtual Console? I have no idea. Fuck's um, <laughs> one of the interesting things that someone said is that that is a stronger collection, and I think I agree. It is in terms of, like, it's four classic games yeah. that everyone knows, but, like, the difference is, is that for people who are maybe 15 years younger than us, yeah. this collection is the games they know. Yeah. I see, that's the thing. That's what I was going to say, is I'm someone who never completed Sunshine... Yeah, I, I, I finished Sunshine and Galaxy, but not Mario 64. Never finished Galaxy. Never even played Galaxy. Galaxy's fantastic. I know, I'm looking forward to playing it. Uh, but I did play 64 to death. Mm. And one of the things I realised playing this collection is that every time I've played 64, I've gone to about 35 stars, and then for some reason I've had to start again. Because you were using shitty third-party memory cards. No, I think my <laughs> dad was playing as well, and he kept erasing the game and starting again. That's a dick. Oh, it was his 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 N sixty four, um. But yeah, like, so I I played through the entirety of Super Mario sixty four now, and I'm part of the way through Super Mario Sunshine. Did you get one hundred twenty stars? No, I didn't. But um, well, but that's not the entirety. <laughs> but I'm I'm happy to talk about both of those, and then you've played all of them. So, yeah, I've, I've got them all. <laughs> yeah, you've, well, you've got all the originals, and you've got this. Yeah. So I've got the DS Mario sixty four as well. I've played that. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll, what I'll do is I'll quickly go over what I've found so far, and then we'll get a perspective from you on both for the <laughs> the originals and the new ones. So yeah, so um, Super Mario sixty four is the classic. Everyone's played it. I think everybody's enjoyed it at some point in their lives to some degree. Um, and in terms of what the game does, really simple. Brings Mario into the three D world and. Does a great job of it. I think the triple jump is fucking revolutionary. I think the versatility and in that character, the entire moving around in that, because yeah. people people forget that moving around in a three D space was was not tank controls. wasn't sorted by then. It wasn't just tank controls. It was just no one knew how to make characters move in a way that was fun. Yeah, um, like because this is before like Gex, Crash Bandicoot, and Crash Bandicoot is still basic. Yeah, like Crash Bandicoot is forward. It's yeah, you're either running forward or running sideways. It's still still relying on 2D things. Like Spyro is probably the first fully 3D platformer Croc. that wasn't that after it that did it off. But Croc was still tank controls, tank controls wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Pandemonium. Pandemonium's 2D. 
Yeah. Um, but anyway, so. Bobsy uh, 3D. Yeah, oh God. That came out uh, after um, Mario Bros. Um, Jim 3D? Yeah, that came out after Mario Bros. It did, it was 98, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, but anyway, so, um, so Peach has been kidnapped. It's up to you to traverse yeah, the knows, castle. That's every single I know, game. I know, but let's just get it out of the way. Peach has been kidnapped. It's so up to you to traverse the castle and using the magical paintings that hold different worlds, you have to collect enough stars to take on Bowser. Yay, so yeah. long, gay Bowser. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so, uh, I mean, where to start other than we've already started? All right, um, I, I played this. I played it all the way through, got to the end, defeated the final Bowser. Um, I skipped one of the Bowsers by accident, you know, the 50-star one, because you got 50 and then 70. Yeah, you only enough to get to the. I didn't thing. didn't end up doing fifty. Yeah. Somehow, um, but yeah, uh, it's a great game. I just wish this was a full remaster of that game because that camera needs some fucking. The work. thing is, is that if they had done like a a remastering job on this, yeah, people would expect more from Galaxy and Sunshine, wouldn't they? Yes and no. Because if you made just Mario sixty four be the one that they yeah play okay. it messed around, but I with. think that because it's the oldest one, it's the one that needs it the most. Yeah, it could have done with just a free uh, analog controls for the camera. Yeah, just that alone. Because that I'm, camera is fucking dog shit. Yeah, you gotta get the hang of it. This this stuff the camera actually does in the AI side of the camera is really clever. Yeah, like when you run around the camera, like say like you know you run up Bob on battlefield, you got the mountain. Mm-hmm. When you run around the corner of the mountain, the camera will stay with you when you go around, but there's like a slope that leads down to the red coins. Yeah, and the camera will slightly aim towards it and put the center focus on that slope as you go around the corners, let you know yeah. that's somewhere you could go down. Um, stuff like that's really clever and revolutionary, but, but- the actual turn in the camera. Who came up with that idea? But the thing is, it's Lakitu on a cloud, right? I know, yeah. So I'm envisioning every time you turn right, he just like does snaps like a, a quarter turn. He does a drift to yeah. the left. He oh, does a sidestep like he's Dante or some shit. It's um, yeah, it's fucking painful. <laughs> but despite that, I made it through. There are some levels that just do not do not age well. Mm. Um, <sighs> I, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. In the long run, I still enjoyed some sections of it and other sections were just utterly fucking infuriating. But for the most part, it was an enjoyable ride. It's I think, always been the... Um, what's that massive... The Sky One Rainbow Ride. That's always uh, been the one I hated. Because uh, it's, it's all pit all the yeah. time. I I think I told you this the other day. The sand level... The, the That's fine. I find the sand one fine. I, my problem is that as soon as you leave that first little opening part that you start in... It's all insta kill. Yeah, get good. And that's fucking irritating. Um, but yeah, other than I remember that, years of playing that and not realizing you could just run up those red and green pillars because it's not introduced in the game anywhere. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You just run straight up. And like, you need How to make to sure, get that up there? but you need to make sure that you keep momentum. Yeah, you just run. You just run <laughs> because if you stop a little bit, then you start sliding backwards and you yeah, fall. The game never introduces that right? mechanic. <laughs> not until the uh, final Bowser stage. Hmm. Um, yeah, so Mario sixty four. It's a classic. I wish they'd done a little bit more, but what's here is still that classic game. There's still that feeling that some of the music's incredible. Um, some of the some of the levels, I, I'm still a massive fan of the Boo level. It's one of my favourites. Yeah, Boo's Mansion, yeah. Yeah, one of my favourite levels in any Mario game. Spooky piano. Super simple. Super simple, but mm. a completely lived-in world. Yeah. It almost feels like a precursor to something like Luigi's Mansion. Mm. And it's just nice. Uh, but yeah, overall I'd say difficult, but it's worth giving it a go and having a look. Super Mario Sunshine is the one that I've only ever played the intro on. Never played past that intro. Hmm. Um, I don't know what it is about that intro. I just never really... After that, I was like... Nah, I, I love care. Mario Sunshine. I, no, I know you do. And I'm starting to come around on it. 
Hmm. I'm loving playing it now. Um, but there are some mechanics there that are really fucking irritating. Which are bad at games. No, yeah. just because I think that there wasn't a big enough jump between Mario 64 and Mario Sunshine that they managed to fix the camera, which is still kind of crap in Mario Sunshine. Yeah, you can move it around, though. You can move it around a lot more, but it still has that... There's still, like, a quarter that you can't get to. Well, you can't to. pass it through walls. Yeah. yeah. And also, but no, there's just, like, a quarter that you just... Sometimes it just... It stops and it won't... It'll hmm. just be like, nope, fuck it, not going any further. Um, and also, um, um, swimming mechanics. Just have a button for fucking jumping out the water. Jump. But you have to stay completely still to do it. That's okay. But when you're moving through water and then you press the jump and instead of jumping, it goes, what? You're moving again. Yeah, you're swimming. <laughs> Fucking irritating. <Get laughs> Just have a jump button. They've got two buttons that you can paddle with. You jump in the air and use the hover. Why can't one of those buttons be a jump and then the other one be a paddle? Anyway. But other than that, Super Mario Sunshine so far is very good but I'm only like 10 giants in so that's that's about as far as my review goes like I I've got like 40 something on that now have you yeah um, but yeah that's as far as I've gotten to in the games my interest is that me as someone who's playing these games for the first time the only thing I can notice is wide is widescreen on the soundtrack because I remember the old, the old some of the effects ratio. look different the reflections are a lot more higher resolution than they used to be one of the things I've noticed is like the heat effect is really bad now it's because it's, it's like I say, so it was a reflect. It was a. Like, it was like an interlaced thing, wasn't it? Because you can see the lines. It was like a little trick with shimmering distant objects, yeah. but um, it basically because of the high bump up in resolution, it doesn't look as like fa- hazy as it used to. No, but it's fine. You get used to it. But yeah, so my perspective is so far this collection is it's given me hours of fun. Yeah. I'm still enjoying it, and I'm planning to complete both um, Galaxy and Sunshine. Where I'll, I'll probably have an updated review by that point. Uh, but for now, you've got to like, get all the stars on the Galaxy. Okay, I'll try. Because you unlock that. Luigi. All right, I'll, I'll try. You have to play the entire game to unlock Luigi. Yeah. <laughs> but no, Sun- Sunshine, they've done some neat stuff on it. The Because um, it's widescreen now and they've pulled the HUD off to the sides, the HUD doesn't cramp as much as the screens it used to. Because when you play the original one, it's 4 3 ratio, the HUD was the same size and it just took up all the space on the screen. Um,. And I quite like on all of these, they've um, given all the... Anything that's a two-dimensional object in the game has been given an AI upscaling. So it's smoother than it used to be. So all the numbers and text and everything, even on Mario 64, look nice and sharp. Mm. But it does mean there's certain things on Mario 64 where, like, a flag would have a 2G object on it. And that 2G object is really high res, whereas everything around it isn't. Yeah. Um, like, there's certain things like that. But that's just a result of just using the generic upscaler for 2D objects. Yeah. Um. But it's fine. Like the cutscenes in Mario Sunshine look much better than they did on the get on the Wii version, GameCube version as well. Because the original ones were, um, it wasn't just that they were for it because they were low resolution on CRT. They were just like poorly encoded. Yeah, they were quite like blocky edges and stuff. But this looks like they've taken the same source and they've just run it through an upscaler. That's basically what I think they've done. But they've mm. upscaled it to 720p instead of 1080p, which is smart. Mm. Because 480 to 720, you can you tend to notice a little bit more detail and stuff coming through with that. It like refines it. Well, a little you bit. can do 480 to 720 because it's a multiple of yeah, two. But when you go to but 1080, 1080 isn't. Yeah. But that's where 4K comes in because 4K is a multiple of both 240 and 480p. <laughs> 4K would be perfect for retro if people started putting some retro stuff in 4K. That's why I never understood why we went to 1080p TVs instead of 1440. Yeah, I think that 1440 it was, was just it was because a, a power versus like. 
CPU usage inside TV yeah. thing. They wanted to go above 720p, and it was probably too much power and cost to go to 1440. 40. Yeah. Yeah. But Galaxy's done really well as well. They've, um, because Galaxy need the least work. Um, and yeah, because Galaxy always looked like a cartoon. It was Galaxy amazing. Fantastic. Uh, Galaxy's always the game that, so it's always Galaxy and <laughs> Luigi's Mansion 3, where I think that's sort of where I expected video games to be now. Mm. Because Luigi Man- Luigi's Mansion 3 has that galaxy effect where there's loads going on on screen and it's all really cartoony and bright and sharp yeah. and you can tell everything away. and like, But it's almost all interactable as well. Mm-hmm. And Luigi's Mansion 3 was sort of like the natural evolution to that style. And I was expecting there to be more of that now. Because Galaxy... Uh, now, Gal- Nintendo games, just they, they just let their artists pick an art style and go crazy with it yeah. nowadays. Do what they want. But the way they've done Galaxy on this, the only real change on it is the um, you can press the Y button for the motion moves now. Which is good for the spin attacks and stuff, and for activating the star things you launch from. Because before you had to waggle the joystick to activate the stars and stuff, and it was it was Wii controls. Every game had to have a waggle in it. Um, but where it kind of is a bit awkward is there's there's things in Mario Galaxy where you'll have, say, like a ring of stars around something in the middle. Yeah. And you'll have to latch onto one of them, like on the, and on the Switch on the Wii version, it was like you pointed at that. And you latched onto it and you'd be dragged towards it and you'd use the momentum to pull yourself back and forth between them to try and get the middle one. Yeah. But on this, you're using the gyroscope in the controller and it's not really a real pointer. And it's kind of awkward when you're trying to point to the star to tap Y on it to pull yourself towards it. And then you have to try and aim for the other ones really quickly with something that isn't a direct pointer. Um, That's the only thing I've had trouble with in Mario Galaxy. Other than that, it looks lovely in high def. I've been told that I'm probably going to have to play it with... um... I'm probably going to have to play it in handheld, um, outside of handheld mode, because apparently handheld mode, you have to use your touch screen to do loads of that shit. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, but um, I had That'd again, actually probably be easier with a touch screen for that grabbing the stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I think you still use Y for stuff, though. I'm pretty sure you can. Maybe. I think anything that involves pointing, you need to use a touch screen for. Yeah. Um, but no, see, that's the one that I'm probably most looking forward to mm. getting into. Galaxy's fantastic. Yeah. It's an endlessly inventive game, that. Really clever, but the, like I think the controversy, controversy, controversy about this as a whole has been that there a lot of people saying that not enough was done mm. because they've been able to achieve similar, if not better, of uh, they want something of, like Crash Bandicoot trilogy and I don't think Spyro. that's that's just it. I think that because yeah. there's such a big modding scene when it comes to the Switch, mm. there are people that have been able to achieve something maybe smoother or maybe... Well, they keep pointing towards that Mario Sunshine one that runs at 60 frames per second, yeah. but that 60 frames per second Mario Sunshine falls apart in a whole bunch of areas of the game. There's yeah. a reason the game doesn't run at 60 frames per second. Yeah. If it's coded to run at 30, it needs to stick to that. Yes. <laughs> now, on the other side of things, I'm quite excited because they've created emulators for these games. Mm. These are emulated. Yeah, so that means... Apart that... from Galaxy. Galaxy's a partial recompiling. Is it really? Yeah, it's not straight up emulator. No. But with the GameCube, with the Mario Sunshine game, they've seen notes of other test code in there. So mm. someone's, someone's checked out the code of this, and they've seen there are results linking to Zelda and, and a few other games they've well, there's tried. there's there's a Metroid Prime trilogy coming in there. Yes, so. which was the other point I was going to get on to. No. Um, but yeah, but like all in all, I, I like this I like this series. They're so... Maybe they're <laughs> going to bring back NBA courtside. Yeah. Um, the games are all so <laughs> strong. Like, not just from a nostalgia perspective, because obviously I've only got that from Mario 64, but from a gameplay perspective, like, Sunshine's still great. Yeah. The only problems I have with Sunshine are analogue controls not being possible nowadays. 
like oh for the squirting the water and stuff yeah yeah you can't use the gamecube pad with it as well which is a bit awkward yeah there's one particular boss that i just did which was the one i told you about the mecha bowser yeah and i'm assuming when you had analog controls you could prep the missiles you collect and you could sort of hold it down ready to fire them and then press it all the way when you wanted to fire no no you said to just charge because it always charge it just charges at different speeds. Oh, right. Well, it, it? With not the rocket boost. I mean, you get rockets on the end of your nozzle, like yeah, those yeah. creatures. And with this, both of the sticks just fire it. Mm. So if you're shooting at the bullet bills that are coming behind you and you accidentally run over a rocket, then it immediately just fires the rocket. Yeah. So I'm assuming that on the GameCube version, you could hold it down a little bit. If you get a rocket, then instead of it firing the rocket, it just doesn't fire. It just sits there and water spurts out the sides. You've got to fire the up. rocket if the bullet bill's coming for you anyway. Cause... You fire it at the Bowser. Yeah, but if. You've got a bullet bill coming behind you. You fire whatever you have, no matter what. You, you fire can... the bells and then you just go back to mm. spray on the bullet bill. Mm. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm really, really enjoying it. And I think, like I said, I think for, I've seen it go for as little as £35 now. Mm. And I think that's what it should have been. I think charging 45 quid was a bit cheeky on Nintendo's behalf. Mm. I paid 45 quid to play it, so. I got what, a refund on Amazon. Did you? Yeah, I got £5 back. Oh. Yeah. Because it went down to £40. Well, it was 50 quid, wasn't it? And it went down to 45 Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, like all in all, I'm truly enjoying this, and I I think that it's I can't really give it a score, but I'd say that I'd recommend anyone who's curious or just love these Mario games give it a go. If you've got a Switch, playing these on the go is fucking incredible. Mm. That's kind of the biggest thing about Sunshine is that I can just play it on the go. Yeah, like and Mario sixty four as well. It's like easy and lugging a GameCube around with you. <laughs> Mario sixty four. I don't know. They they probably never intended for it to be a portable game, but the way that that like sort of quick burst of go get that stuff for that level and then you get sent back to the hub yeah. is so suited for on the go moving like having a go here and there. Yeah. It's the best version of Mario sixty four that's been released on consoles as well officially because they did the Wii Virtual Console and the Wii U one, mm. and both of those had the stuff like the all the sprites weren't upscaled so they looked super blocky against even oh, though they had okay. let the resolution bump up on the. Um, polygons and shit yeah so especially on wii u one it, it played at 720p but all the sprites were still blocky as hell so all your hud was all blocky and all the text was blocky Fucking but it looks wii brand u. new in this it looks all sharp and clear i've got so many issues with the wii u right now yeah I hate that it's a good job they're erasing it from existence once they release mario Ma- mario super 3d land whatever it is that's it there's no the wii u will stop existing i'm looking forward to pikmin Pikmin 3, yeah, that yeah, makes this month. I'm hoping they bring out Pikmin 1 and 2. Maybe. Because those are, like, Pikmin 1 is, that was my jam. I played that for hours. I've got it. I've got it on the cube. My pile of GameCube games over there. Anyway, <laughs> that's, I guess that's the end of the episode. Yeah, good. Last review. All so right. I've got a minute until wrestling uh, starts. Okay, I've been Matt. You can find me at Crow Apocalypse on Twitter. You can find Ant at LV54 Space Monkey on Twitter. And your YouTube channel, how you doing? Mm-hmm. Mellow Gaming is still the most popular YouTube channel on YouTube. That's not. Not. I said what I said. I said what I said. I'm, I'm visualizing. I'm pretty sure this. the game comps are slightly more I'm popular. I'm realizing this for you. I'm making it happen. Yeah. Um, you've also got another channel. Reacting. Sentai Yopper Ranger. Well done. Yes. Well fucking done. got it right once. And what does Yopper I mean in? I have no fucking clue. I don't care. Probably something <sighs> racist. <laughs> <laughs> anyway as always thank you for listening feel free to like comment whatever people do on I don't know what are we on Shudder <laughs> uh, on SoundCloud alright uh, yeah okay Boris Johnson fucks kids yeah what 
You can't just this libel man. Oh, sorry. Donald Trump definitely fucks kids. Yes, okay. Yeah, Boris Johnson yeah. probably fucks kids too. Prince Andrew. Prince Andrew definitely fucks kids because I'll tell you what, I was down fucking Pizza Express the day he said he was down here, yo, and he was a fucking liar, mate. Because I was eating them breadsticks and he went nowhere to be seen. Plus, he was sweating like a motherfucker on TV. Yeah. Uh, Prince Andrew's full of shit and a pedo. Right. <laughs> Episode 144. In the bag. This is the one we get sued on. Can I end it now? Yeah, of course. Someone would have to listen to it. To I know, right? Yeah. Bye. Bye.